0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I want to rock! Bernie and Sid in the Morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. We are New York. Bernie and Sid in the Morning. Talk Radio 77.
1: Whose music is that,
2: Curtis? Is that yours?
3: I will tell you it is, uh, John Katzmatitis. You may not be aware of it, but this band, homegrown in New York, Mountain. Appeared in Woodstock nineteen sixty nine, Leslie West who was former Forest Hills. Felix Papillardi, Corky Lang, just three of them, and they really paved the way for heavy metal. Now I can imagine in the Catsumatides household, you and Margot just rocking I was, I out playing, the mountain.
1: I was playing Ricky Nelson, I was playing Frank Sinatra. I mean, what is this? Uh, where, where's that? What is this crap? You
3: know? uh, Saturday nights, though, you're not going to hear Mountain uh, with vinnie Meduno at five o'clock. He starts it all on musical he's extravagant. Good, yeah, he's, he's the well, protege. First of-,
1: of all, this is this. Tell this is the bullpen is in today. Bernie and Sid. Bernie is out. He's got to have some more tests at the hospital, and Sid. Since I'm making movies. <laughs> How come he's
3: not making movies and we working? That's right. He's uh, out in Brooklyn shooting uh, scenes for Gravesend, which he appeared in last year. And uh, as you know, he came back from L.A. You may never be able to bring him back. He may have that star in the Hollywood Hall of Fame soon. Because he's in uh, the movie Gemini Lounge, which is a place I grew up right near. That's all in Canarsie. And it's all the kind of things that... Uh, Put Canarsie on the map, not for necessarily the best things that were occurring, but because of uh, organized crime.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Are we, uh, you we are the bullpen. Is this Katz and Curtis or Curtis and Katz?
3: No, you're the owner-operator. Why do we call it C&C? Like C&C Cola. Yeah. I mean, you used to stock it.
1: That was the worst cola I ever tasted in my life. Cheap,
3: though. Oh,
1: my God.
3: Remember, they used to have Coco Rico, though, also on the shelf. Oh, they had all kinds of knockoff uh, Pepsi and Coca Cola products. rsc Cola, you remember? I am. Uh, I'll tell you
1: though, uh, people in this country are changing. The world hasn't changed yet, but in this country, you'll see people ordering water more, and uh, they're going to they're forgetting about uh, sodas and they're forgetting about the. Uh, other things, everybody wants to be healthier.
3: John, explain this to me. Why is it when I go to Gristides? And, you know, I shop with Nancy, my wife, over at the Gristides uh, by 84th and Columbus or any kind of grocery store or any kind of bodega. If I were to get a normal bottle of water and a normal bottle of soda, I'm paying more for the water than the soda. Now, years ago, we, to, we would never have conceived of buying water, remember? It was like, no, 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 you get water from the faucet. And then you buy the soda. You know what's more expensive than that? What's that? Gasoline. Yes, it is. You
1: know, I I put I had to put uh, uh, jet fuel in my airplane the other day. They wanted to charge me eleven dollars a gallon.
3: Eleven dollars a gallon. What would normally the price be? Well, it was you know in the days uh, uh, when in the airline business it was a uh,
1: dollar, two dollars.
3: $11. It was crazy. Well, let me ask you because you're the oil man. You've been in, involved in. Uh, well, per- what does it
1: cost? Okay, people, if. Let's, let's keep it even. If it's $100 a barrel, you know how many gallons in a barrel?
4: Uh,
3: how many? 21. 40,
1: 42 and a half gallons See, a barrel. See, I had half of it. Okay. And so, $42 and a half dollars in a barrel, then it it costs you. Three dollars to process it. Let's say mm. so you're up to forty four, but there's magic. You know what the magic is? What is that? When you process the barrel of oil, and it's forty two and a half gallons, you end up with forty four. Now, is that because, because of ethanol? No, because it's there's
3: lighter blends. Yes, and there's uh,
1: heavier blends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So
3: the heavy blend comes from. Let's, so let's say keep, we'll keep it simple. Yes.
1: So you're, you're starting with forty four um forty four gallons let 's say call it into a hundred dollars a barrel um hundred and ten with processing so what is that two and a half dollars about that now let me ask you this. this 'cause so you're my- starting off with two and a half dollars? the rest of it is getting into the locations uh transportation, and uh the rest of it is uh trucking uh and taxes taxes.
3: Let me ask you this. Uh, out of a, a barrel of uh, petroleum, yes, my father, who was in the oil business, different than you were because he was on tankers out at the ocean. He was a merchant seaman for 54 years. He would tell me, Curtis, uh, a barrel of oil, a raw petroleum product, not all of it goes for gasoline or home heating fuel oil or diesel oil or, as you pointed out, jet fuel. You have so much that is used to make the plastics. To make this, uh, this, uh, actual, uh, board that we're, uh, They're
1: using, they use every ounce. And, you know, the asphalt to, to, for the,
3: for the, uh, roads. Yep. That's out of the same barrel of oil. Pharmaceutical products. Everything. Uh, pens, you name it. You go a panoply so that you're looking at a little more than 50% of the so actual. So when oil yeah. goes up. Yeah.
1: When oil goes up, when a barrel of oil goes up, it affects everything. Everything, transportation to, for to bring food uh, to the uh, grocery stores, uh, to bring clothing to the grocery stores, everything.
3: Now, over the weekend, uh, U.S. Senator Majority Leader of the Senate Chuck Schumer said that uh, oil companies are gouging; they're taking advantage uh, and you just hiking their prices. Let
1: me tell you the stupidest thing in the world. And I, you look, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of respect for some of these people, and. The stupidest thing in the world is when Joe Biden took office and he cut off the pipeline just to get even and, and approved the other pipeline later, the one in Europe oil went from $55 a barrel to 110. Now you don't have to, that's double. So when you double the price of crude oil, everything else goes up.
3: So at the tail end of the Donald Trump administration, uh, a barrel of oil was down to about 20 bucks, right? That was the no, low no, point?
1: No, no, yeah, no, no, but that was a different game he was playing.
3: Well, what was that?
1: Games that people play. Mm. That the fact was that, uh, uh, he wanted to use, make North America self-sufficient, which is the right thing to do. Mm. North America deserves to be self-sufficient. Uh, our, you know, from the Eisenhower clan on up, uh, we took the attitude is we got to keep the Saudi Arabians in business. That's part of our Middle East strategy. Uh, but to take it from 55 and, and what really happened when it went down to $20 a barrel, uh, the Saudi Arabians panicked, panicked and they went into business with Putin. Mm. So Putin and Saudi were partners to make sure the price of oil comes back up again. Because if, if Putin reduces 10 million barrels a day, and it's $100 a barrel, that's only a $1 billion a day, 365 days a year. 365 billion a year takes care of the entire budget of Russia, the entire budget.
3: So in order to uh, raise the price of oil on the world market, and there are coalitions, there's OPEC. You shake
1: the trees.
3: Or what about you? Just uh, stop the production of oil, so that the price uh, artificially rises because you're not you're not bringing the crude to market.
1: Because President Trump screwed them, and incre Whatever they were dropping, we were increasing, and at one point we were up to thirteen and a half million barrels a day. And that was the difference. And uh, uh, I understand from the Canadian ministers and. Uh, uh, that if we have the North American Energy Treaty, Mexico, United States, Canada, that we can produce 15 million barrels a day, making North America self-sufficient.
3: And all of them uh, are big producers. Mexico, people don't realize, big production. But what about Venezuela? It used to produce so much of our oil years ago. It belongs to
1: Russia. It's a division of Russia
3: In so with uh, Joe Biden meeting uh, behind the scenes with the Maduro. Button? They're
1: full of crap. <laughs> but he's
3: wanting, to like buy crap. Oil. he's wanting to buy oil from all over the world other than increased production here in North America. Now,
1: I mean, and, and I've said this before, Just so the American people don't forget. Uh, when we had the U.S. senator from uh, uh, Alaska, on Sullivan, uh, we have a 2 million barrel a day pipeline from Alaska down. Yes, yeah. You know what we're using? 400,000 barrels a day.
3: And what is the rationale for that?
1: No rationale. Oh, we can't we can't uh, drill here. We can't drill there. We can't drill there. Alaska and Canada have 100 years worth of oil. And then you say, oh, you're depleting me, you earth supplies. No. There's... Little-known fact: it's well, not, Oil is not from the dinosaurs.
3: Well, for years, it's not from the dinosaurs. Back to the time that Sarah Palin was governor before she ran for vice president with John McCain. And one of her selling points, she said, is in my state as governor, we're actually sending checks to Alaskan residents because they are benefiting from our Instead production of, of oil. Instead of paying taxes, right? They're, they're benefiting
1: them. Reverse? <laughs> re- that's reverse taxes.
3: That's unheard of. People will say, you're kidding. You mean the state of Alaska was actually giving money to their residents because uh, of their sales of oil? Dividends. Or call it rebates. Rebates. Okay,
1: call it whatever you want, but don't call me late for dinner. That's all.
3: Now, what about with Red China? They have said over the weekend they are going to increase the amount of coal uh, that they are going to put into their... Uh... This is the
1: stupid things that we're doing in our government. We are restricting our companies. We're restricting Americans. We're restricting our, our country from doing things under the theory, oh, it's going to hurt the environment. Well, look, I, I am pro-environment, but let's do it over time as the technology gets better. But we have... Uh, under the treaties they want to sign are signed. We have to comply by tomorrow morning. China and Russia don't have to comply for another 10, 15 years. So what is that all about? I mean, is that the stupidest uh, business? You know, we, we need smart guys in Washington negotiating our treaties, negotiating uh, with, with Russians. You know what else I say, Curtis? There's eight billion eight billion people in the country. Eight billion. Oh no, in the world. Five five billion, five and a half billion are run by dictators. In other words, whatever they say goes. You wanna wait, let's build the road over there. I wanna finish I wanna finish that road by next week.
5: <laughs>
1: by next week. Two and a half billion are, is the free world. And the United States heads up the free world. And everybody, NATO, everybody, they sit there and they look at Joe Biden and say, we're depending on him. We're depending on him to, to, to lead the free world.
3: But what's interesting is the Red Chinese look at third world countries as an opportunity. They make them a deal. It's a quid pro quo. We come in, we develop your infrastructure. And then we take your natural resources for 30, 40, 50 years so that they end up controlling the market right now with batteries, it, batteries it, that we need for everything. It's
1: loan to own. It was, that, that strategy was developed in Brooklyn, wasn't it? Yes. You loan the money and you know the people can't pay you back, so you end up owning the
3: assets. Except in Brooklyn, you owe the money because you lost gambling because they'd extend your credit. And then you couldn't pay the VIG, so they'd bend your leg and stuff it in your pocket. Or sometimes they'd take your business, and you'd have a new partner. Yay, hey, Vinny's your partner. Sal's your partner. Joey's your partner. Say, I don't need a partner. I'm in business here 50 years. It's a family business. They say, oh, no, all of a sudden we're partners.
1: Look how stupid we were in Afghanistan. Joe Biden makes the, makes the let's get out of Afghanistan tomorrow morning with no prep. We left our allies behind we left our equipment behind we left some of our soldiers behind our you know and and we ended up giving afghanistan to the chinese because the chinese run the taliban 85 billion dollars worth of equipment we could have given that to the ukraine and china ends up with they end up with our air force base or our military base in... in Bagram.
3: Yeah. Bagram. Not I mean, only that, I mean, it would have been our closest uh, Air Force base yeah, to mainland China.
1: I have nothing against Joe Biden as a person. But look at look at how stupid our strategy is. And every time he does something, it hurts our country. Now, that was the most strategic base to protect our country in that part of the world. And we gave it to China. We gave him $85 billion worth of equipment. Can you figure that
3: out? Well, when we return, John, because you're obviously on point when it comes to business, the uh, board of directors of Twitter has said to Elon Musk and other potential uh, purchasers, we're open for business. Let's see what you'll pay for our stock price that's owned by individual stockholders. And remember, Elon Musk's wealth, the South African came about because uh, he's been able to develop electric cars and put them out on the road. And so many of our elected officials have said the future of America and the world is not the gas-burning, carbon-filled uh, uh, automobiles and vans and trucks. It is the electric capacity to have those same vehicles on the road. Nobody would know it better than our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis. Great talk show. and is his host in his own right. You check them out every Friday. The C&C Hour. That's right. The C&C hours We're substituting for Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg. But normally you can be heard, John, every Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock with your roundtable. Almost all morning long on Sundays starting at 8 o'clock when I'm listening after I get off the airwaves. You have a whole group of eclectic What's contributors. What's
1: W.A.B.C., always broadcasting cats?
3: Yes. Always, always broadcasting, broadcasting Curtis. That's right. <laughs> the CNC boys are ready to take you the rest of the way right here on 77 AM WABC, your place to be.
0: Right now on 77 WABC, stay informed with Bernie and Sid in the morning, then at noon. It's Charlie Kirk from 1 to 3 p.m. It's Greg Kelly on 77 WABC.
3: Oh, I can see you, John Katsimatidis, in your T-bird, your muscle car, heading to Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark.
1: I love Palace Six Park. That's where you know cousin Brucey got his fame over there. And
3: uh... oh yeah, he still speaks about it every Saturday from six to ten. He reminisces all the great acts. In fact, Bobby Rydell, who just passed away, was one of the featured performers. My older sister Alita, just loved Bobby Rydell. We'd go out there with her girlfriends. I'm sure you were over there in Harlem, growing up in Harlem. You probably just took the bus over the George Washington Bridge. Well, what was the uh, what was the
1: actual commercial? Palisades amusement park. Skip the bother and skip the fuss. Take
3: a public service bus.
1: Public service sure is great. Takes you right up to the gate.
3: Uh Palisades Park swings later. all day and after dark.
1: Fifty years later, I still remember.
3: Now remember, at the time, also they promoted the world's largest saltwater pool. Oh, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, I know. So many great things. And cousin Brucey would oftentimes be the MC, and would be introducing the acts that would come on stage. It cost almost nothing to get in. It was like, uh, Freedom Land was in the Bronx where Co-op City was. You had a church.
1: To get into Disney World, you got to take a first mortgage on your house (laughs) to get into Disney World. (laughs) I mean, Disney World is a wonderful place, but they're trying, these people are trying to change the culture, the culture of America. Well, screw them.
3: Now, were you aware, John, that when we were growing up, there was Disneyland in Orange County in in, uh, Southern California. Yes. And then Walt Disney had this concept, this idea, I'm going to build Disney World in Central Florida. Did you know that the negotiations with the state of Florida almost provided the kind of status that the Vatican has in uh, Italy, where they're an independent autonomous state?
1: They run their own government. Your own police that department, own police department, and it, 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 let me tell you something: when the Disney family was running it, it was great. Now you got a bunch of corporate. You know, I don't want to say anything
2: too bad,
6: but it, it,
1: it's crazy. And this woman that's in charge of of diversity, I I believe in diversity. I believe freedoms of rights. I believe people could should do whatever they want to do, but this woman in charge of diversity at Disney, is training her five-year-old and her four-year-old or six-year-old, I forget, that one of them is going to be, uh, what are they called, Pam-gender? Pam-gender. I don't even know what Pam-gender is. I still don't know. And transgender. Now, you can do that. Now, you can do that to a five-year-old? She should be in jail.
3: John, there are 72 different terms that have been created to identify one's gender. When you and I were growing up, it's like, hey, what are you, blue or pink? Are you a boy or are you a girl? Now it's to the point, John, if you're having a bad day, let's say you're having a really bad day and you decide within your own mind, today I identify as a woman, that the law provides it, that everybody then must identify you as a woman also, even though anatomically your plumbing is a man, Uh, A man's, and then maybe 10 days later, you go back to identifying yourself as a man, and everybody must then identify yourself, uh, identify you as a man. It is absolutely insane. Listen,
1: I believe in freedom of rights. They can do whatever the heck they want, but don't affect the lives of five-year-olds, six-year-olds. Don't affect the lives of first-graders, kindergarten, first-graders, second-graders, and third-graders, and try to make them into something that uh, that's you know, different.
3: Well, let's look at Disney though from the concept of it is big business. It is all over the globe. It is a global business. The stock
1: went from one ninety down to one eighteen. At what point uh, are the shareholders going to tell the board of directors? How do you say that? You're
3: full of crap. <laughs> well, look. John, who we're on the. We came out of the bullpen today to relieve Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg for this morning. We came out of the bullpen. You know who's warming up to come back again to run Disney? But Iger. Because, as you mentioned, the stock price is dropping. He sold at
1: 170. And listen, you know what the strange thing about it is? He knew he sold it two weeks before the pandemic and the stock market dropped.
3: Now, there's a person that you and I know we've dealt with over the years. She was there for Senator D'Amato. She was there for Governor Pataki. She was the person you had to get through. Zenya Mucha. She had common sense and the, and the,
1: and the woke culture through Zenya Mucha told her, you
7: know.
3: Well, my prediction is Bob Iger is going to come back. Uh, and he's going to take over the helm again because it's a business. You can't offend people on the left. You can't offend people on the right. You got to walk the tightrope because you're in your entertainment business. Right. You want as many people coming to your parks and buying your products all over the globe. So they have, uh, they have Disneyland in uh, mainland China. They don't want to offend, uh, obviously their hosts there. Uh, they obviously, if it was up to them, they would kill gays and lesbians. They don't believe in self identification well, of a gender you know agenda. how
1: this whole problem with Putin started not too many people know it when Putin Putin spent 5 billion dollars creating uh, the Olympics when was it in 2015 2016 yeah, he went to the olympic games and and he was so proud of it and Putin wanted to be part of the European community he wanted to do business with Europe he wanted to do Uh, he he wanted to 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 feel like he's part of it, and you know what what Obama did, President Obama. He and by the way, the other thing that Putin did is he banned gays or something. He did yes. He signed into uh, power. Yep. And you know what Obama did? He sent he sent no official delegation. He made sure that European Community sent no official delegates. And you know, he wanted to make him feel like crap.
3: Well, it's what we just did to the Red Chinese for their Winter Olympic Games, where and, there were no and, official delegations. And
1: then, to stick it up further up, uh, Putin. Yeah, Tokis. He sent. He sent a delegation of gays, <laughs> which he just out- which Putin right. just outlawed.
3: I remember that.
1: Okay, just outlawed. You know, is there anything you forget, Curtis? You know, I can rely on you to remember anything.
3: Well, I will tell you this. I was in Russia when we could have made a difference. Remember, we were shocked. In fact, Bush 41 was in charge when the wall came down. They didn't expect all the satellite states of Mother Russia to go their own way. They had no idea that Gorbachev would suddenly start taking Russia in a different direction with Glasnost and Perestroika, more towards the west than the east. We had a phenomenal opportunity when Boris Yeltsin was in charge when he took over for Gorbachev to accept them, bring them into the European Union, bring them into NATO. They wanted to join. And our attitude was, no, you have to prove yourself. Think how different things would be now if we It'd were... would be to a s- balance of power,
1: world power, because we're moving towards world power.
3: This is what an incredible opportunity that we missed. And then, as you know, the vice president uh, for Boris Yeltsin was the man best known as the uh, KGB director for the Stasi in East uh, Germany. That was Vladimir Putin. Putin came into power, and he hasn't looked over his shoulder since. And because we wouldn't allow them to get involved in the European Union, we wouldn't allow them to get involved with NATO, now there are biggest threat. In fact, remember the election, Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama, in which he said Russia is the biggest threat to Western uh, democracy, our biggest... Everybody laughed. Ah, oh, what are you talking about, Romney? And now it turns out, that in addition to mainland China, we're absolutely back where we were in the Cold War. But right now, traffic in sports is coming up next. But it's the 77 WABC Clip of the Day. Listen to the Cats Roundtable, your show, John, every Sunday morning starting at 8 with Frank Morano and others. Here's John talking to our Mayor Eric Adams. And with Governor Patterson.
1: Mayor Adams, you've been supporting him. I've been supporting him.
7: And he had a big fight with Black Lives Matter. And he's going to get a lot of criticism internally for actually doing that and speaking out as strongly as he has against crime, as I said before, and also putting in place greater police on the subways and a number of things that he's done. He's standing up against a group, for the most part, when they were voting, voted for him. And so that's why I think it's so unique, and that's why I commend that somebody thinks about the entire group of people that they're serving and not just the people who put them in office.
0: at info at GobbleLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident. Right now on 77 WABC, stay informed with Bernie and Sid in the morning. At 5, it's Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. <laughs>
1: Somebody, somebody. Well,
3: this is your, more your speed, John Katsimatidis. Not Mountain, Leslie West, Felix capillardi Corky Lang that we opened the show with. Music. And a full orchestra in the background, accompanying. Uh, by the way, we've come in from the bullpen for Bernard McGurk, Sid Rosenberg, yours Julie Curtis Lee with John Katsimatidis. And uh, having warmed up and now joining us, uh, coming off the bench, Judge Weinberg, is very important. Later on, we're going to be discussing how this anti-crime unit that was just put into effect by Mayor Adams made some collars, and apparently almost every one of them with loaded guns has been cut loose. you will explain that to us. But we have on the line now Dr. Mikolos. We appreciate you joining us here this morning. And we were just having a, a very spirited conversation uh, about the electric car. John was getting into it. We know that Elon Musk's massive wealth that he's using in a takeover of Twitter comes uh, from the Tesla cars that he makes. But what are the pros and cons that if uh, America begins switching to electric cars and abandoning the fossil fuel burning muscle cars that we grew up with? What are the dangers that Americans are facing by being in an electric car?
8: Well, one of the first things we have to talk about for our green, green friends is that the electric car requires a much greater carbon footprint to build and construct it. The other problem is that in order to build an electric car, you're dependent on uh, several countries that may not either be politically stable or user-friendly. For example, the uh, lithium that we get comes from uh, Congo, where there's a reports from Forbes magazine that child slave labor is being used to produce it. Uh, we also depend on uh, countries like uh, Bolivia, one of the largest reserves in the world for lithium happens to be in Afghanistan. And the Chinese have already built a rare earth mineral plant in uh, Afghanistan and after all the blood and losses that we have there. And the other thing is that uh, you need nickel to make the batteries and Russia is the number three producer of nickel, so nickel went from fifty thousand a ton to a thousand dollars a ton. Uh, the other concerns are the safety issue. You have basically a metal box, which is like a reverse Faraday cage, and you have uh, four one of the for example one of the electric cars has four electromagnetic motors. So you have four electromagnetic fields spinning at the same time. You have the battery. Let's say you have four passengers in the car, so you have the um, cellular Wi-Fi and you have Bluetooth all bouncing around inside this metal box, which is basically like a microwave oven, and nobody really talks about this. Uh, And also, I did an experiment. I bought one of these meters, EMF meters, and I went over to somebody who was actually charging the car while they're sitting there uh, charging it, and... The thing, when the battery's boiling and charging, it goes off the charts. So nobody talks about that. We don't see the exhaust coming out of the tailpipe, but down the road, there's a coal-fired plant. And around the world, that's what they're finding out, that uh, all these countries that went super green with the sun and wind, like Germany, they found out that at night and in the evening and when the weather's not good, they're cranking out coal-powered plants. Uh, to, uh, be able to feed these cars their electricity. So it's not as green. The other thing is the environmental damage, the battery disposal. Uh, right now, there is no inexpensive way to, uh, get rid of these electric car batteries that may cost five to seven thousand dollars to replace. Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that. If you're in a hurricane situation, you have to get out of Dodge. Good luck trying to find a charging station. We're already seeing these big lines. The American grid is not able to handle all these electric cars, as we found out in other states like California. The infrastructure isn't there at this time. The build-out would be tremendous. We saw the disaster when there's a car accident, the hydrogen cyanide gas produced by these cars, and most rescuers are not equipped to deal with the dry so, chemicals doctor, needed.
1: Doctor, the important thing to do that. If we're going to go electric cars, it should be a, 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 an option, not a must. In other words, what, what the White House is doing is putting their finger on top of General Motors. They're putting their finger on top of uh, Ford a, a, and Chrysler whoever else. And they're saying, oh, you got to get this done by 2030, 2035.
8: Yeah, but they haven't done their due diligence. That's the problem. The that's the thing problem. same years ago. They The same thing years ago when x-rays came out, they were using it for acne until they found out it can cause thyroid cancer. And they were using it at certain shoe stores to measure the length of children's shoes. Same thing happened in 1903 with UVC light. You, they got the Nobel Prize for killing skin infections until they figured out that UVC causes squamous cells and basal cells. And right now we have these big electromagnetic field boxes that people are sitting in, putting their children so in. So you're in a box.
1: that That... That metal box that you're in or whatever is creating what you call a Faraday cage. It's like
0: in the old days,
1: it's like living underneath the Alpine antenna where everybody was getting cancer.
8: (laughs) That's what it's coming down to. Basically, everything's bouncing around. A Faraday cage is designed to block EMF from entering. But when you have all the EMF from the inside, the battery, the motors, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, the cellular energy, and it's all inside there, and it's not getting out because it's bouncing around inside. You're basically sitting in this little, in my opinion, this little microwave oven. And there's a team of concerned scientists who are writing to the World Health Organization to say, hey, wait a minute, let's explore this a little bit more. Just like we guessed you had John Howard, the professor from Electromagnetic Technologies in New Jersey, also talked about this. And he also said, you see these kids walking around with these little wireless Wi Fi's with high frequency low power sitting in their ears all day he said having a wire is much safer the same thing we're just finding things out so i think we need to do a little bit more due diligence as a country and we saw the disaster what happened with that ship that uh, was burning with electric cars because one of them catches fire And then they all catch fire, and you can't put the fire out. That ship eventually sank when they tried to tow it in, and it was an environmental disaster.
3: Doctor Mikulovs, nobody hears about it. Let's use as an example my oldest son Anthony, who works here as an intern, just turned 18. He's got his uh, learner's permit. He's going for his driver's license. He's put the arm on me and said, "I want a brand new Dodge Charger muscle car." We're at the Jacob Javits Convention Center. The auto show just reopened first time since the lockdown and pandemic of March 2020. And uh, while everyone was walking around, many of the people who were promoting electric cars, because there were many more electric cars and vans uh, that were being showcased than ever before, were saying, you don't want to drive, you know, a, a carbon-fueled automobile. It's bad for the earth you got to move in the direction of the electric car. Now, he represents the generation that soon will replace the hipsters and millennials. The baby boomers, we're not going to be buying those cars soon. So that orientation they're getting about carbon-burning engines versus electric cars, that's going to help Elon Musk. That's going to help others who are just going to be selling more and more of those cars in the future.
8: Yeah, but you need to be educated. Carbon-burning coal plants and carbon-burning electric plants are feeding it. Just because you don't see it coming out of that tailpipe, it's coming out of a giant tailpipe down the road. And they did this study in Europe, in the European Union. For example, Poland, a great country, but they're burning up coal to charge up electric cars. And that's going to be a big problem. In many European countries, there's very few that are efficient. One of them is like Switzerland that uses a lot of hydroelectric and nuclear to charge these cars. But most countries are still using fossil fuels to charge these cars, and the grid infrastructure cannot just handle it. You think we have brownouts now in California and other areas? And the other thing is when there's cold weather, electric car batteries don't work as efficiently. See, the question so, right. is, the
1: question is, is somebody paying to fuel the American mentality?
8: It's a marketing machine, but when you have to look at the facts and we need to do more due diligence as a country, in my opinion, and that's just like many other things. We jump ahead with the technology, but we don't ask, what effects does this have on the human body sitting underneath four motors? It's a marketing machine.
1: Everybody is pushing the fact, oh, when the environment is being harmed. This and the, the environment is constantly changing. I understand you need
8: that. need a thousand tons of water to make one, you need to you need a, like a thousand tons of water to just make a small amount of lithium. It's highly highly inefficient, and we we're depend our supply chain as we learned through COVID is national security. And right now our supply chain cannot feed all the components of an electric car and keep it going the way in, in its current form right now. So we have a lot of homework to do. And just because of the uh, war happening and the ability not ability to not be able to get nickel, they estimate that EV cars will go up a thousand dollars each. Just because the areas that have the components neodymium, lithium, nickel that you need are all in unstable areas
1: that China controls.
8: No, China controls the one the plants that are in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, but d- didn't they little also
1: lend money to uh, Congo? Uh, Congo?
3: Well remember yeah, Hunter Hunter Biden Olivia. has been involved in those kind of investments too. But on a different note, uh, Doctor, last week uh, we saw airline passengers dancing the Tarantella and the horror while in mid flight the pilots, co pilots announced the federal judges' decision to remove the mandatory mask mandate. There was celebrations. Now there were some people who were upset. Say, put your mask on, but the mass majority were like celebrating. Then it took a long time. And now, apparently, the federal government is going back in. And uh, with all this from the CDC and President Joe Biden, uh, they're asking for an appeal. Why did it take so long? And why didn't they just continue on with what the federal judge ruled? Because eventually we have to get off this mask thing.
8: Well, we do eventually, but if we study 100 years of history, when you go to a hospital, who wears a mask in the emergency room? It's not everybody. It's the person who has symptoms, whether it's TB, flu, a cold, sneezing, coughing. They ask you to put a mask on because what masks do is just really for the person who's sick to put it on. So when you cough, they've done studies at Kobe University in Japan that when you cough or sneeze, your particles can go 26 feet. When you wear a mask, it just physically restricts the projection of the virus. Instead, it only goes three feet. So in reality, the people who really need to be wearing masks on any plane are the people with symptoms. But instead, what they do to make it equal, they just tell, "Okay, everybody's going to wear a mask because we're still in a pandemic and there's still, you know, cases happening. Yes, thank God, less people are dying. The death rate's down. So I think that's what it is. And it's also a risk management problem. When somebody has it on the plane, they're going to say, oh, you didn't protect us. That person had symptoms, was coughing, and they were not required to wear a mask. What I would do if I was in charge, I'd say, listen, if you have any symptoms, if you're coughing, I don't care what it is, allergies, you're coughing or you're sneezing, and you're about to get on a plane, those people need to wear a mask. Because that's what we do currently in hospitals. When somebody comes in, do you have any symptoms? They ask you and they hand you a mask. But everyone else in the waiting room, the reality is if you can smell someone smoking cigarette while you're wearing one of those regular cloth masks or any mask or even N95, that means the virus particles can enter. Really, masks are just a physical barrier to decrease the projection distance of you know, a virus. And more importantly, they should be having UVC air sanitizers inside the HEPA air filters on planes, just like uh, you guys have, I know, at WABC in some areas. and and, uh, and, and in the rooms that you have, you do have UVC right in your central air. And I, I know we have it in our office. And uh, those kind of things, the zap uh, mold, virus, to bacteria, are probably much more effective than having people, uh, everybody uh, masking. And having small children masking at this point, it's kind of, you know, I don't think it's helping kids. Well, Doctor, you, know, you don't see smiles anymore. It's do- affecting their growth.
3: Dr. Mikulos, uh, thank you for your input on both those subjects But we're going to have to move from the medical. We're going to have to move from electric cars versus carbon-burning old-fashioned muscle cars to the uh, field of expertise of Judge Weinberg. When we come back after the top of the uh, hour news, uh, John Katsimatidis, as we substitute for Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg this morning, uh, our mayor, Eric Adams, was featured on 60 Minutes. He was being interviewed by Anderson Cooper. Every, almost every subject was crime, crime, crime. What are you doing about the crime and the big number story? Number one
1: subject. Number one subject. Crime, crime, crime.
3: Well, the big uh, story the front page, New York Post. Twenty-five arrests by this new version of the anti-crime gun uh, gun squad. Twenty-five arrests and Judge Weinberg. When we come back, you got to explain how come almost every one of them got cut loose and ended back in the streets. Was it because of a decision made by the judge overseeing the arraignment, or was it because of this no-bail law? And then also the report that came out to two neighborhoods that you, John, are very familiar with, Lower East Side and Greenwich Village. Shocking increases in crime, and you know where most of it comes from, the shoplifting. It starts with the shoplifting, and then it just escalates to every other crime category. So before we talk about that, a little music to go out with no that is going to satisfy you, Judge Weinberg. You, John, because this is your style of music. I'll stop with the headbanger music the rest of the way this morning. Find some place
0: in here. <laughs> I- we are New York. Bernie and Sid in the morning. Talk Radio
9: 77. W-
3: Taking it down a few notches
0: yeah, from our I'll opening
3: salvo as uh, John Katzimatidis and yours truly, Curtis Lever came running in from the bullpen to replace Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg today. Bernie is getting additional treatment for his prostate cancer and uh, styling and profiling in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Some uh, hours today is our own Sid Rosenberg who has become a Hollywood star. What has happened to Sid Rosenberg? He's like in demand now. He's doing shooting for next year's series for Gravesend, coming back from his movie role uh, in the Gemini Lounge, a place that I grew up near, uh, which had every mobster choking on their lobster there. What's going on here? John, you may have lost Sid Rosenberg to Hollywood. I don't know. What the heck is going on? I mean, uh,
1: you know, I said maybe we should buy a Hollywood studio.
3: I think you, uh, you're going to have to move in that
4: direction. I'm ready to fly to the coast. Just tell me when. Oh, well, you know, instead you, of... Will instead you be of, like Tom Hagen? Judge Weinberg
1: uh, speaking. Instead of schlepping, schlepping all the way to the coast. And Curtis, you're 68. I'm over 70. God, quiet. Judge, you're privileged. over 70. We don't want to schlep all the way to but the West can't Coast. But I can imagine.
3: Imagine this so scene. Why don't,
1: why don't we open up a new... Long Island City. Brooklyn. Uh, a, new, Brooklyn. a new studio, a new Hollywood studio, and call it...
3: What? Well, you have the Silver Cup Studios just by it, that. It's cool. right there in Long Island City, John. We'll make
1: movies in New York. I want to make
3: <laughs> movies. <laughs> well, anyway, Judge Weinberg can be your Tom Hagen, your peacetime consigliere. I can
4: who, do wartime, too.
3: Who, on your behalf, makes the studio owners and operators an offer from John Matitas that they can't refuse. And if they say no, the famous line of Tom Hagen in The Godfather was, Mr. Katsimatidis is going to be very upset with this. This is bad news. I want to go deliver this to him personally. I can just imagine that, from the Italians to the Greeks, because that's right near Astoria. But whether it's Astoria, whether it's Long Island City, Judge Weinberg uh, and John, the number one issue in New York City is the skyrocketing crime rate. Our Mayor Eric Adams was... we got to
1: straighten out New York.
3: Well, he was featured uh, last night uh, on 60 Minutes. They've been uh, following him and his first 100 days as mayor. Uh, But Anderson Cooper, who did the interview, normally is on CNN, but he does these guest interviews for 60 Minutes.
1: Is is changing. We've got to talk about that later. There is no old CNN anymore. The deal closed with AT&T, and there's new people in charge. And uh, guess what? They're telling the woke culture to go to hell.
3: Yeah, but you're gonna to have to also give us some insight because you were on the cutting edge of buying CNN would've have, would have rocked the uh talk news world an, in T V. That's,
1: that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. We had the money raised and uh but that's another story. Let's stay on crime. Okay. We got it straighten out in New York. And the police commissioner was on with us and and, and also uh uh, Deputy uh, Commissioner, uh, we had them all on and 6,600 people arrested for gun possession of guns. Yes. They were given tickets.
3: That's, yes, we call them disappearance tickets.
1: And you know how many people showed up? Zero so, showed up. No, 200. 200. Okay. Out of 6,600. So <laughs> that is crazy. Judge Weinberg. Yes, sir. The current law and the law that's proposed, I mean, it used to be one you got one year in mandatory imprisonment if you're carrying a gun in New York, and New York was the safest city in
4: North America. Tell us, where, where are we now? Uh, we're in trouble right now. And we're in trouble because you have a combination of a lot of things going on, uh, none of them good in terms of... Uh, Law enforcement and and public safety it starts off with the uh, with the state legislature passing the so-called bail reform bill, which is a consumer fraud because there was no reform in that. It was just uh, a cashless bail let everybody out and only a few crimes were so-called bail eligible we could hold somebody in and they've made two modifications of it, but it's window dressing. they're putting lipstick on a pig. it's still a bad law. never should have been passed. It deals with political correctness and wokeism and ideology. It does not deal with the reality on the streets. Well, so let's miss
3: Perfect lead-in to the lead story today. Uh, our mayor Eric Adams put into place his version of the old anti-crime units. Except they're not undercover. They have a different uniform, a different style police uniform. They have the
4: jackets that announce they're police, right?
3: And they're in um, they're in uh, unmarked cars. So their job is to get the guns off the streets. Since March, apparently they had intervention with twenty five different suspects. The most recent four suspects with loaded weapons, ready to be used in crimes, and when it went before the judge. Uh these individuals were cut loose. So out of 25 individuals collared by the cops doing their job to anti-crime, almost every last one of them was cut loose they're back out on the streets.
4: Curtis, I, I read the article that uh, you pointed out to me, so let me let me tell you how it works or how it does not work. It does not work at the beginning because the bail reform law says just because you have a loaded gun, unless you're a citivist for that same kind of crime or you commit another major felony, judge has no discretion. So the short answer is the first thing you have to do is you have to clean up the so-called bail reform law. You possess a loaded gun that should be bail eligible regardless of whether you have a previous crime for gun possession or or some other serious crime. Forget about it, as they said in the Sopranos. Just make it simple. Put the discretion in the hands of the judges. If there is somebody who has a loaded gun that's bail eligible, judge can do that. That's number one. Then you have the problem of prosecutors. A lot of prosecutors, and I read the article, Curtis, a lot of prosecutors are recommending so-called supervised release rather than that. And what is
3: – explain Supervised it.
4: release, fundamentally, they say that you have to report in on a regular basis to some sort of officer to let people know – where you are because they say the purpose of bail is just to make sure you return for judicial proceedings. So that's not a ankle bracelet that they're putting on you. It could be, but by the way, that's a good point, Curtis. Thanks for bringing that up. It's one of the things John and I have been talking about at at Cats at Night. The problem is when the state legislature and their so-called wisdom passed this and they wanted to have supervised release, they didn't give the uh, municipalities, the counties, the cities, the money to put in either the personnel or the equipment, the so-called ankle bracelets. So it's illusory. You'd have to, if I have an ankle bracelet on Curtis, you have to be monitoring where I'm going and where I am.
3: Now, largest district attorney's office is in Brooklyn, Kings County. They have the bulk of the gun cases, the bulk of the violent crime. Bronx and Brooklyn are like one in two. But Eric Gonzalez, the DA, he has a policy. And, John, this is interesting because you go back, I go back to the day of Ed Koch at that time. One year, mandatory in jail, you get collared with a gun. If you get collared with a gun and you haven't fired it at somebody in Brooklyn, you get remediation. You don't go to jail. You come in once a week, they give you milk and cookies and tell you don't ever do it again. That is crazy.
1: If you get caught with an illegal gun, I said to the DAs, I said, It's supposed to be one-year mandatory sentence. That way, even the gang
4: members don't even carry the guns anymore. Well, that's exactly... that's that's exactly that's how we
1: kept New York City safe.
4: Okay, so now, then you have the third component. And what was the third? So, you have a bad bail reform. You have prosecutors who are not enforcing the law strictly. And then you have some of my former colleagues, some of are strong law and order judges, the way I was, both on criminal court and Supreme Court, who care about public safety and the innocent victims. But you have others who are appointed by different different mayors or elected. Right. Many of them sitting
3: now were appointed either by Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, when he was governor, or de Blasio when he was mayor. It's
4: very important. It's very important that when you have somebody on the bench, that you're appointed by someone who understands what's really going on and the problem with elected judges is they come from a starkly political process. And when they're elected, people don't know who they're voting for. It's a ridiculous system. They have no idea whether Curtis Lee was a would be a great judge or a, or a poor judge when your name is on the ballot. And the party machines, whether it's the Republican Party, you know, upstate or, or on the island, or the Democrat machine in, in New York City, they control the party conventions. Those party conventions are totally fixed. By the advocates and the politically correct, you can't get a nomination as a Supreme Court justice in Manhattan unless you're left wing. So,
3: are you telling us?
4: No. So, in other words, it's the political parties that control the judgeships, the political parties or the appointing authorities. Now, I have to believe, I have to believe that, a, as a general proposition, appointed judges are better than the elected judges because they go through a much more rigorous screening process. But if you have a de Blasio making the appointment as opposed to a Koch, you're going to get a real difference on the bench, and people have to understand that. I'm happy that Eric Adams, who comes from a law enforcement background, has created a good committee on judiciary, and and I know some of the people on that committee. Some of those people are good former judges or good public advocates for law and order, So we may get a better class of judges coming out.
3: All right. But what do we do for the here and now? The other big story over the weekend is shocking increases in major crimes in two neighborhoods that were doing quite well before the lockdown and pandemic. Westside Greenwich Village. Huge increases in crime right across the board. It all starts with the shoplifting. It's endless. And then Lower East Side, same situation. So now you have Midtown, Chelsea, near Penn Station, that whole area. You can't do business there anymore. It's a ghost town because of the shoplifting and the crimes. And it is spread south to Greenwich Village Cru- and to the Lower East Side.
4: Couldn't say it better. Curtis, crime is a cancer. You need to nip it in the bud immediately. You have to pay attention to the small stuff, which leads to the big stuff. When you don't go after.
1: no pe- Richard, uh, Richard Weinberg, let's tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You were... For 15 years, you worked with Speaker Vallone.
4: I was his general counsel.
1: You were general counsel at, the, uh, at City Hall. At the city and,
4: Council. I, I mean, and uh, you knew it, you know, so you know exactly what's going on in the uh, city. Well, let's let's be clear. Thank you, John. Let me, let me just tell you this. There was a program called Safe Streets, Safe City. And that program was Speaker Peter Vallone's initiative. I know David Dinkins, the late mayor, took credit for it when he ran for re-election against Giuliani. But the real force behind it, and you go back to the newspaper morgues and the New York Times editorial talking about Mr. Valone's bold proposal. And then you were on the bench
1: after that for that's fifteen right. years. That's Tell right. us about that.
4: First, I was appointed by Giuliani, reappointed by by Bloomberg, appointed to the Supreme Court by Chief Judge Judy Kay and Chief Judge uh, Jonathan Lippman. So I both did both criminal so court you, you and supreme. You know, you know the stuff. You you know your stuff. This stuff I know. Yeah, that's correct. What, what? would you? What would you like to know? What would you like to know? I
3: I remember when Giuliani came to office because I was campaigning with him every day and it was a very close election. He lost the first time in a close election, won, thank God, the second time. But he had the support of the district attorneys. There weren't these battles going on that are going on now. So with additional police from Safe City, Safe Streets and DAs, who coalesced around Giuliani, the law and order mayor, they were able to lock criminals up and keep them off the streets.
4: Curtis, you also had a city council led by uh, a wonderful man who cared about the city, who loved the city, Peter Vallone, and brought the city council along to do the right thing. You had a state legislature who would listen and was reasonable and was centrist, and you could do an understanding with them to get the support, because you remember, the only tax that the city of New York can impose without state authority, without state authority is a real property tax. What they did is they cut a deal to fund these additional cops and the social workers and the drug counselors and the court officers and more legal aid and more DAs. They did that by getting permission from the state legislature and the governor to have a slight increase in the income tax. It was a surcharge and then it disappeared after a number of years because it became mainlined into the, into the budget. Well, so,
3: if if the criminal justice system is not going to function and lock up criminals who are arrested with the goods on it, with, let's say in this case, loaded guns, loaded 9 millimeter, or they use the gun in the process of a crime, it's going to revert to the old days when John Katsimatidis, as a rising merchant, uh running grocery stores, uh, supermarkets, and Curtis Lee were organizing the Guardian Angels. People were going to want to reach for their old Rocky Colavito Louisville Slugger bat well, we and had, take matters into their own hands. We had a baseball
1: bat in every, in every store. I never hit anybody with it, but these guys are usually cowards. And when you take out the, the the
4: the you know the baseball
1: bat and they look at it, they're cowards. They walk away.
4: Okay, respectfully, John. Let me point out to you in the mortal I words, kid, in the mortal words of.
1: You sure. were an educated guy. Your father was a judge. You
4: you come from education. I came, me and Curtis came from the streets so, of New York. Yeah, but let me give both of you gentlemen an education about street life. As Sean Connery famously said in The Untouchables, you don't bring a knife through a gunfight.
3: Well, now that leads us to the discussion. We know a lot of vendors and merchants have illegal weapons to protect their store, protect their employees protect from this endless siege of locusts coming through the cornfield. Not just those coming in the shoplift, but those to rob them. United States Supreme Court is soon to rule that's correct. about a person's ability to carry a weapon in New York based on the makeup of the court. Where do you think that's going to go? Because already Eric Adams commented last night on 60 Minutes. Other elected officials have commented, oh, my God, we'll be like the wild, wild lesson I'm saying. Guys and gals, you need to go to states like Texas and Arizona and Florida and Georgia where people have open carry permits and they don't have the kind of crime that we're suffering with right now.
1: If everybody, you know, that's why I'm saying I don't want to make New York City into Dodge City. But, you know, if we continue, if we continue uh, with uh, all this crime in the streets, and you never know what the Supreme Court's going to do with guns.
3: Well, when we come back, Judge, you're going to have to let us know, just looking at the makeup of the United States Supreme Court, whether we're going to have open carry or uh, people will be able to carry but naturally uh, not be able to openly show it. Uh, And also, the direction that we have to go in prosecuting people who are stealing everything they can get their hands on. This is the Bernard McGurk and uh, Sid Rosenberg show. Uh, They're off today. Uh, So we came jogging in from the bullpen. we got to talk about that story. The uh, fans at Yankee Stadium, who were so unruly, they should have been locked up. They should have been locked
1: up. Meanwhile, the Yankees swept. Cleveland, I understand, over the week weekend, right?
3: Well, that's because they changed their name from the Cleveland Indians to be politically correct to the Cleveland Guardians, and they failed to put at the end of the Guardians the Cleveland Guardian Angels, you see? <laughs> oh, my God. But more of that with Judge Weinberg. Yeah, to me, they'll always be the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> yes, that's right. And Wahoo. Wahoo. Uh, Chief Wahoo, who was their symbol. But when we come back... It's uh, Judge Weinberg in the house, John Katzmatidis, yours truly, Curtis Lee, right here on your place to be, 77 a.m. W.A.B.C.
0: Stay entertained and informed now with Bernie and Sid in the morning. Then tonight, it's The Great One, Mark Levin at 6. This is The Great Scandal on 77 W.A.B.C.
3: That's life. Oh, I had a great, great discussion with Jersey Joe Piscopo last night, uh, John, before I came on the airwaves. He's a good
1: guy. He is a good
3: guy. He was swapping Sinatra stories, not only with the listeners of the Ramsey Mazda Sinatra show, the two hours, six to eight on Sunday nights, but he was on a roll, John Katsimatidis. What a great idea to have the program that so many people thought had disappeared. You can only get in on satellite radio. Now you get in on WABC as part of the weekend lineup with Sinatra. You have uh, Cousin Bruce, 6 to 10 on Saturday, and then Tony Orlando, 10 to 12. It's like it's gone back to what WABC something.
1: used to be. When, when I'm home on Saturday night, and a Cousin Vinny comes on at 5 o'clock, Cousin Bruce, he comes on from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock, then Tony Orlando, I I just relax. I relax, listen to music, and remember where I was when that music
3: was playing. And then at 12 midnight to 6, it's yours truly, Curtis Oh, my Lewis. God, I
5: have to
1: listen to Curtis.
4: <laughs> and I get him wired up. John can't go to sleep. I want a lobby. I want a special show.
1: <laughs> I, I, I end up bl- not sleeping at all. <laughs> Wait, can
4: I lobby you, John? I want Blondie. I want to bring back oh, Blondie. Oh, okay,
3: Blondie. I actually uh, saw Blondie, Blondie when Pam I lived
1: Blondie at the Lower East Side. The, the, the blonde Attorney General from uh, fr- uh, No, No,
4: no, that's a different Blondie. <laughs> uh, different Blondie. Different Blondie. But now... I'm talking about Deborah Harris. Speaking
3: of the Lower East Side, I lived there, Avenue A, St. Mark's, across from Tompkins Square Park, at the height of when it was called the Alphabet Jungle. Drugs, crime, violence. This is before Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor and gave that area a badly needed makeover. But it started with he and Bratton implementing what was already on the books but wasn't being used. Stop, question, and frisk. Here it is. We are past 100 days in the Eric Adams administration as mayor. And he has said we're not using, not he himself, but through the new police commissioner, Sewell, we're not using stop, question, and frisk. Judge. There are so many young guys I run across with the Guardian Angels. I see the bulge. I see the swagger. I see they're carrying a weapon. I say to the police, stop them, frisk them. We can't. We can't do that. We haven't seen any evidence that permits us to do that. Judge, that's not true, right? All right all,
4: the bad old days started when de Blasio became mayor and he didn't appeal a decision by the U.S. District Court Judge Shearer Shinlin on the stop, inquire, and frisk. That's when Ray Kelly. This police commissioner. If they had taken the case, the United States Court of Appeals had taken the case away from Judge Shenland, taken the case away from her, that case would have been reversed on appeal. Ray Kelly and what he did was nothing wrong with the Stop, Inquiry, and, and Frisk under Terry versus Ohio, which is the United States Supreme Court case. It's purely constitutional, it's reasonable suspicion, gives you the grounds to stop, inquire, and frisk somebody. And as you correctly point out, Curtis, seeing that bulge is reasonable suspicion. And if you talk to Ray Kelly, a good friend of all of ours, he'll tell you his eyes bled and his head exploded when that decision came down. It was a bad decision. It would have been reversed. But it sent a signal out, Curtis, as you've pointed out, that the bad old days We're beginning to come back.
3: Give you an example. And, John, as a business person, let's say you had a nightclub. Let's say you had a disco. Let's say you had a restaurant that attracted a young crowd with lots of young males with uh, high levels of testosterone crashing through their cranium. The people at the front door, the security, they not only stop you and frisk you. They put the metal wand goes on you. You're going through three layers of security before you can even get in. Why? Because you fit the demographic. You're young. You're a male. Your testosterone is going crazy. And they don't want to fight inside of their establishment to lead to people pulling out guns and having uh, a face off, you know, at 50 feet across the dance floor. The
4: problem, Curtis, is, is you're articulating real common sense. What they did when they abandoned that litigation and they stopped, stopped inquiring and frisk, they set up a, a protocol for violence and dangerousness. Because as John and you have pointed out, the message was out, leave the gun in the house. Leave the gun in the apartment. Do not bring it into the street. Minor stuff escalates into real, into real violence. Now, the other question that we talked about during the break is what is the Supreme Court going to be doing. And that's the great irony of ironies, because if you believe that the Second Amendment is an absolute right... Are they to, sitting on it? No, they'll make a decision in June.
1: They're, they said that they're
4: going to make a decision yeah, in deci- June. Decision, you'll have a decision. the
1: right to carry is constitutional.
4: The problem is... That's, right, that's exactly right, Sean. The problem is that if the conservative judges say that you have and an absolute right under the Second Amendment. Then the conservative judges are going to want, are going to say, everybody can have a gun, and that's a real problem.
3: Well, uh, speaking of Judge Weinberg and uh, our owner-operator John Katzamitidis, great talk show host in his own right, the Katz Roundtable at night every Monday through Friday at five o'clock, and hear John talked about border issues with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin who said the sex traffickers are buying people into sex slavery for $85 a head. Chinese cartels are
1: sending their fentanyl in and mixing it with the Mexican cartels and they're killing hundreds of thousands of Americans.
5: I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, I guess, one of the, the, the litany of horribles. Uh, you're right. China is bringing the precursor chemicals of fentanyl, or complete fentanyl, into Mexico. And then they smuggle those through our open border. We lost over 100,000 people to drug overdoses last year. As I talk to law enforcement here in Wisconsin, uh, most of that's attributed to fentanyl, which is a deadly, deadly drug. Uh, And so it doesn't take much to smuggle across the border. And when you have such an open border, it's pretty easy to do so.
3: oh i see that uh, judge weinberg in the house with john Matitis, yours truly curtis lewis who is substituting for bernard mcgurk and sid rosenberg today is playing the air guitar they were so synonymous uh, for all of us when we were growing up trying to riff to the sound of our favorite groups, or favorite guitar players. The only thing you're missing is playing hacky sack. On a programming note, uh, the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York will be joining us at 840 Ray Kelly. Uh, but right now, every week, it's a fixture here on the Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg show. On Monday mornings, Rich Lowry of the National Review. Thanks for joining us all again, Rich. Now, Rich, uh, get us up to speed. Because we see there is drama with tapes. It's not the Richard Nixon tapes. It is the tapes. Not the Hunter
1: Biden tapes.
3: Not the Hun- Hunter Biden How tapes. How many tapes are there? Well, that's what Rich can answer because every day it seems we hear a different tape being released uh, having to do with uh, the minority leader now expected to be possibly the uh, Speaker of the House uh, in the midterm elections, McCarthy from California, We're hearing crystal clear Memorex tapes in which he is saying, I'm telling the president at that time, January 6th, he's got to resign. He's got to move on. We've got to move beyond Trump. Where is this all going to lead to, Rich?
10: Well, I don't think Kevin is, uh, um, I uh, admire Kevin, but I don't think he's covered himself in glory here. And the, the big stakes for him is, does it upset Trump enough that Trump opposes his, Speakership did once Republicans take the majority in November, which is pretty much a lock. Um, and, and does that block him from being speaker? Rich, uh, what was the circumstances? We'll see, see.
1: What, when people make mistakes, tell us the circumstances around when uh, when he said that.
10: Well, it's in the immediate aftermath of January 6th when everyone's hair is on fire. I think justifiably, I think that was a terrible day for the country. Um, and. The, he, he was uh, tape, tape, um, having this conversation and then has denied it since, and then the tape emerged, and he, he said it's still taken out of context. You know, and and I, who did he say it to? I, I'm not entirely sure.
1: All right. So uh, I think until we find out the exact circumstances, uh, what is the total conversation instead of taking it out of context?
10: Yeah. So that's now, exactly what I was going to say. I, is I, that, you know, uh, and everybody...
1: And, and Rich, you know, uh, I'm a middle-of-the-road person. I'm not an extreme right-wing. I'm not extreme left-wing. I'm the -the middle-of-the-road person. And the thing I have a problem with on January 6th, everybody goes around saying, oh, it was horrible, horrible. But nobody's saying is that they didn't break down the walls. They didn't break down the doors to the Capitol. I understand the Capitol Police opened them. And 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 we're letting people in. Do you do you know anything about that?
10: Well, there there are kind of two phases. One, there were a bunch of thugs that legitimately um, beat up cops, that broke. There always there, windows. When, when you have and,
1: when you have gang when you have a gang of, of ten thousand or twenty thousand, a there were a bunch of thugs for sure that looking for do uh, to do bad things. Two, there was undercover. Uh, agents in there from whatever agencies decided. I mean, sometimes it's a joke how many undercover people there are or some, how many agencies there are. But nobody broke down those doors. I understand. And, and Nancy Pelosi did not, did not call in the National Guard, even though she had the option to. And the Capitol Police opened the doors, and I, I've seen videos where the Capitol Police are actually, you know, People are walking in and saying, you know, come on in. I mean,
10: when do we get the
1: truth, the truth about what really happened?
10: There are two phases. There was a vanguard that was violent and determined to break their way in. They did. And then subsequently, um, you know, those, those guys run into the chamber. And then subsequently, you know, no one quite knows what's going on. And there are... Cops who have the doors open and are waving people in. There was a uh, a guy who was acquitted. So why is everybody walking
1: around saying, Oh, that's horrible, that's horrible. It is horrible. But why did the Capitol police open those doors? You you, you need a tank to 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 open up those doors.
10: Well, the the, the Capitol had already been breached. So it it had been breached violently. Um where? And, From and where? Had, huh? all, all over the Capitol. I mean there's there's video there's the outside
1: of the Capitol was breached, but nobody was inside the uh, inside the Capitol.
10: Mm, no, people broke into the Capitol. This is this is established. Again, there are two phases. There's one that there was a violent struggle of the mob to break into the Capitol. They succeeded. And then in the, the subsequent chaos and disorder, there were cops who had the doors open and were waving people in. And those those are the videos you see of people kind of now into the Richard, speaking
3: speaking of videos, the new video that's been released over the weekend and is circulating everywhere is on that same day. Vice President Pence is being hustled out of the Capitol. He's in the company of Secret Service agents. They're asking him to get into a car. Is it is it true what we're being told that he didn't get in the car, and why wouldn't he get in the car?
10: Well, the what. Pence's people voice said is that he he thought it would be a terrible message to send to be hustled out of the the capitol um, to escape a mob that that would just be a, send a terrible signal about u s democracy
3: now they're both on the campaign trail, meaning former president Donald Trump he was in ohio huge rally uh, in support of his Republican candidate for the u s Senate. I see that former Vice President Pence is out there campaigning. For at times, Republicans who Donald Trump is not going to endorse, what is the purpose of Pence being out there? Is this to try to thwart Donald Trump's nominees from winning the Republican nominations in their respective states?
10: I don't think that's that's the main thrust of what Pence is doing. I think Pence is among um, a group of people, kind of circling, waiting to see what happens in 2024, instead and in terms of Trump uh, running. And if Trump certainly if Trump doesn't run, I think Pence Pence will run. So you have a bunch of people out there, Tom Cotton, Ron DeSantis, others building their name ID, building their networks, um, traveling the country. And and waiting and see what what Donald does, which will obviously be highly determinative of what that field looks like in twenty four.
3: Now, Rich Lowry, what do the Democrats do as President Joe Biden's polling numbers are plummeting? He's down to thirty three percent acceptability. there has got to be panic through the ranks of uh, Democrats running for their Senate seats because that could flip. And obviously, definitely in the House, we've seen so many Democrats opt to retire rather than to get down into a major battle to keep their seats. Do they have any strategy to try to stabilize this uh, this fall into the political abyss?
10: No, (laughs) there's there's one approach which we see a lot of Democrats actually taking a shockingly large number of Democrats, which is stop the madness. You know, you see it on the border. When you know Biden says he's going to lift Title 42, which is going to create a total catastrophe at the border, and you've had a lot of Democrats, even Beto O'Rourke down in Texas saying, oh, we don't think this is very well, well thought through, and maybe you shouldn't do that. So that's kind of the, the attempting some separation strategy from an unpopular president, which never really works. And then you have Elizabeth Warren out there saying, you know, you know what he needs to do? He needs to double down on his agenda. And the the only reason he's unpopular, he hasn't passed all this stuff. And that's a total fantasy. You know, that's a more cowbell approach from the famous SNL skit. And that's not going to work either. So they're just going to get wiped out in November. They'll certainly lose the House. I think that they'll lose the Senate as well. And then, you know, we can see if Biden can somehow find his footing again. But obviously the problem is that this, this is not a guy who's in great shape. This is not a guy who's very adept or, or flexible. Um, and they got a big problem.
11: Rich,
1: uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg in the uh, studio with us, and, and uh, he's an accomplished judge. If we win the House, you know, if the Republicans win the House and the Republicans win the Senate by a couple, one, two, whatever it is, how do you stop this chief executive, uh, Joe Biden, he's still the president, from doing stupid things? Because so everything he's done so far has hurt our country.
10: Well, you, you, I mean, the legislative agenda, which obviously hasn't been going anywhere fast, it, you you totally block it. I mean, there's, there's no hope. You take the Senate and, you know, his nominations can grind almost to a halt as well. The problem is the modern president has a, a lot of, Power to do things unilaterally, certainly in the uh, realm of foreign policy, so there there are limits you know you need to win the presidency again, and that that 's how you take care of the the problem but winning the House will be a big deal. They can undertake all sorts of investigations what happened with hunter biden 's laptop what why were former intelligence officials dishonest about it and trying to create the idea. It was Russian disinformation uh, on and on. You know, what's been going on with the CDC? Why do we get this ridiculous mask mandate? So there'll be a lot of good they can do with the House. But it, it's no substitute for winning the presidency.
4: I, I agree with Rich. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is the legislature has certain fundamental powers. It can uh, delay or stop appointments. It can have over- legislative investigation oversight hearings. And it can uh, play around with uh, with the budget and approving uh, budget uh, modifications during the year. I think Rich has it has it exactly right. You have to win. You have to win the presidency. But the ability to have hearings has enormous consequences when it's backed by subpoena power, as shown by mm-hmm. what the Democrats have been doing. And you can really hold, in terms of the court of public opinion, the Democrats and in the administration what they've been doing. The way they've been packing the administrative agencies, the way they've been ruling by regulation and by executive fiat, this is very, very important stuff. I mean, we have we have two big issues, Rich, that I'm very concerned about. I'm concerned about the uh, resurrection of the Iran deal, and I'm yep. very concerned about the rescission of uh, Title Forty Two and, and the border crisis. What say you?
10: Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, th- these are these are ominous. I'll take Title 42 first. I mean, we shouldn't have a a CDC edict be the the only effective border measure. I mean, it's just insane. But since... Biden reversed all the Trump stuff. Title 42 is all, all we got. And they're not really using it uh, as robustly as they could. But they, they list it. Everyone knows it's going to be a debacle and totally overtop and overwhelm our system. The Iran deal, you know, um, Judge, you, you talk about legislative powers. This should have been submitted. The first deal should have been submitted to Congress as a treaty. Uh, Obama didn't do it because he knew it couldn't pass. Same thing with if they do this again, it should be uh, rightfully considered a treaty, but it 's going to be horrible it's going to be worse than the original deal, and every indication is you know that they're they're giving uh the Iranians every concession they possibly can it's crazy really we, we, we,
1: we, the Iranians are our enemy they're israel's enemy they you know and, and we're giving them everything. I just don't understand it now I got one more question rich, and joining us in the studio right now is. Uh, George Venizelos. George was four years with the DEA, 24 years with the FBI. His last job was in charge of uh, New York. He was uh, uh, assistant director uh, of New York in charge. He was in charge of the 8,000 people, the largest office the FBI has. And we had a discussion yesterday of the foreign influence of money in our congressional elections. Because I have Congress people coming to me complaining that the money is flying in; uh, it's coming in like no tomorrow. And before we go to George, you have any comments on that?
10: Um, I, I'd be I'd be curious to uh, hear George.
1: George, let's go to you. Tell us. You know, you you've been there when we've had Congress people come to us, both of us, and uh, uh, and uh, tell us about there is money flowing in. From all sorts of places, whether it's uh, the Arabs, whether it's the Turks, whether it's the Russians, but don't forget we have some strange, strange people elected to Congress that they didn't have a pot to piss in, and all of a sudden they had a lot of money to
2: run well it's been, the last two elections are an indication they've been very controversial so We've had a lot of complaints. I know John and I've heard from a lot of different um, Congress people that you know their opponents have come up with all oh, crazy t- types of money, and uh, the foreign's influence is real. It's real. It's 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 illegal for foreigners to contribute. to It campaigns. is illegal. Yes. Now, the word I heard
1: from one of them that this government is funneling in money to this uh, uh, hedge fund. Which is funneling money, uh, le- theoretical legal money, if it was his own money, into
2: congressional campaigns. So yeah. where the heck going? That that's the big problem. They're they're finding all kinds of ways to to funnel money into campaigns through so-called legal means. You know, through a legal party, through a straw person, through a straw, a straw company. You know, and and it's it's a problem that this country we really have to take a hard look at.
4: You need to have a, a clear law that says that this kind of funneling money, this laundering money is in itself a crime.
3: If I can, gentlemen, real quick before Rich Lowry goes. Rich, you live and die by Twitter, the thread everybody in the media does, especially when uh, uh, the president at that time, Donald Trump, would send out tweets uh, morning, noon, and night. He's obviously been restricted. If Elon Musk is able to buy stock from the other board members, sizable enough to uh, take over Twitter uh, in a non-hostile way. What is that going to mean in terms of the information flow?
10: Well, I think it'll be a great thing. I think Twitter will improve in all sorts of ways, but we'll have a more a true ethic of free speech, which has lost last several years. I think it'll be an, an indication to social uh, uh, other social media companies that their hierarchy does not need to be afraid of their woke uh employees and can say go pound sand you work for me and and i'm not going to let you run the show and, and politicize this whole operation so i think it, it'll it'll be a very good thing and uh hats maybe off the maybe, on. You'll, to maybe you'll go back off. to
1: freedom speech to be able that? to be able to listen to both sides
10: and that would be a and, good. And, thing. And,
1: and that's our problem and we'll talk about it more yeah. later that's our problem in our colleges too there's people can't listen to both sides and that's what college is all about You know, I went to NYU, yes, we had the SDS at NYU, Students for Democratic Society, but they they didn't prohibit other people from speaking.
2: And, And if you want to talk about foreign influence, talk about social media, between the Russians and the Chinese, they're controlling elections from that end too.
3: Well, on that That's note,
2: another area. Well, we'll
1: come back with, with more afterwards. Rich, and, uh, Rich, thank
3: you. Yeah, Rich Lowry of the National Review of Fixture on the Bernie uh, McGurk and Sid Rosenberg show every Monday at 740. I had no idea, John Katsimatidis, you had an SDS chapter led by Mark Rudd on the NYU campus. Because remember, at the same time, they took over Columbia University.
1: I was in uh, ROTC. i get pie- pies it, thrown at me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I had no idea. And you know what happened, the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, became the Weather Underground. The Black Panther Party became the Black Liberation Army, and they both merged together to declare war on the United States. And for a period of time, cops were being assassinated in the streets of New York City at horrific rates. It's bad now when cops are being killed. But remember, at that point, every other week. And and I
1: see another member of uh, our NYU club standing outside the studio here, Eddie Salzano. Eddie Salzano was uh, at NYU, and he was a a high-ranking officer at the ROTC. I forget his rank, but he was a member of the Pershing Rifles. So we had both sides of the story being told.
3: And by the way, I owe it to John Sexton, who was chancellor of NYU for many years, good friend of John Katzmetidis, who got me into Brooklyn Prep to Jesuit High School. Broke all the rules to do that, so they can only kick me to John, the curb John, years John later. John
4: Sexton's a good guy, but his titles, by the way, he's the dean of the law school and president of the university. Uh,
3: anyway, up next, you're not going to want to miss it at eight forty, exclusive to WABC. Ray Kelly will be joining us, the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York City, and we're going to ask him about why there is no more stop and frisk at any level of the police department right here on Bernie and Sid in the morning. They're away today, and that means you have John Katz and Matita's... The
1: bullpen, the bullpen.
3: Yes, truly, Curtis Sliwa, George, and Judge Weinberg. Is it
1: Katz and Curtis or Curtis and
3: Katz? No, it's Katz and Curtis. I know my role here at WABC. I'm not bucking the boss, that's for sure. That would not be good not be good at all. pre Revival. Uh, I see everybody rocking out in the studio here. As we've all come running in from the bullpen to replace Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg this morning. They they
1: better be back soon.
3: Yeah, led by our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, who's doing two shifts. Two shifts in the interim, mornings, and obviously the catch-round table at 5, Monday through Friday. And
1: we in reserves, too. Besides me and Curtis, we have Judge Richard Weinberg and former FBI director in charge, uh, George Venizelos
3: And so uh, experts on public safety, we all are at various levels. And the horrible story today, we saw it unfold yesterday as our heroic fire department once again uh, rushing into a burning building that at a certain point, there seemed to be like an explosion. Fire was coming out of the second floor, all the windows. Firefighters jumping out of the second floor in order to survive. And unfortunately, one hero firefighter, his life taken, Timothy Klein, 31-year-old son of a retired firefighter himself, uh, member of Ladder Company 170 in Canarsie, a place that I used to visit from time to time when I was growing up there. And ironically, it was a few years ago that he gave the eulogy for his fellow firefighter, um, a Firefighter Pollard, who had died when he was killed at the scene of a car crash nearby on the Bell Parkway when he fell through a gap in the roadway. He was also a member of Ladder Company 170 in Canarsie. He gave the eulogy, and just a few years later, on his way to uh, Brookdale Hospital, where he had already turned blue. They were trying to revive him, resuscitate him, pounding his chest, CPR. You can see some of the video. You saw all of his colleagues assembling outside in their FDNY uniforms, awaiting word, family members, friends, retirees. The mayor responded. Everyone was there. And another firefighter, unfortunately, has perished. That makes 1,157 members of the FDNY who have died in duty. And you say to yourself, as a firefighter, you're running into a building. You have no idea if it's illegally wired, if it has false walls, if fire is traveling through the ceilings unbeknownst to you while you're fighting a fire in one section, that fire could be traveling at a rapid pace through the ceiling, and then all of a sudden you're trapped. And that, unfortunately, was the condition. He got separated from his colleagues, uh, and he ended up perishing uh, in the line of duty. So I'm hoping all of our WABC listeners, no matter where you are, when it comes time to honor this uh, hero, uh, you attend the wake if it's open to the public. Uh, you attend the funeral mass if it's open to the uh, public before burial to show them support because he really needed in their time of need. They just recently had another firefighter who was in the Rockaways responding to a fire, uh, firefighter Jesse Gerhardt. He was fine the day that they fought the fire on Beach Channel Drive. They went into a burning building Unfortunately, the next day he's on the floor because, you know, the firefighters will do 24-hour, 48-hour shifts. He collapsed. They took him to St. John's Episcopal Hospital, and unfortunately he himself died. Very, very dangerous occupation. We we hope that they'll always rescue us when there's a fire, go into conditions that nobody else would run into. We have to remember how many died, not only in 9-11.
1: We got to get but somebody. The, duty. We got to get somebody from the fire department to call in, and let's see uh, who we have. And uh, I put out the, the reach to get some uh, phone call.
3: And we have uh, uh, former police commissioner Kelly joining us at eight forty, the longest serving uh, police commissioner. Crime,
1: crime, crime—a number one uh, item in our agenda, and we have to fix crime in New York City if New York is ever going to come back. We had sixty-six million tourists in New York before COVID. And you know what we got now? A trickle. Say, how do you say "bubkus"? Bubkus. Bubkus. Oh,
3: we uh we say Ugats. You have nothing. You have <laughs> nothing. nothing but the hair on your chinny chin chin.
1: Yeah. Over if we the, don't we... straighten out. It's it, it, it's all about crime. Crime in our subways, crime on our streets, and and what what I've been saying to people, there's three thousand criminals that commit ninety percent of the crimes in our city, and if we put them... If we put those 3,000 criminals in Rikers Island, throw away the key, guess
4: what? city will be back to safe. But, but John, they want to shut down Rikers Island. They want to put these jails in neighborhoods. And I
1: understand the feds want to take over Rikers Island, and I don't understand what they want to do yet. Well,
3: let me explain. This was definitely a failure to respond to the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District. George, you work with the Justice Department. That's part of the FBI, the DEA. You know. Imagine this was Rudy Giuliani instead of our new U.S. Rudy Giuliani says, you are to attend a meeting here, downtown Manhattan, in the offices of the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District. The Our, our new correctional chief, Molina, appointed recently by Eric Adams, blew off the U.S. Attorney. He was at the Jacob Javits Convention Center adding pictures of the tour of the Jacob Javits Convention Center to his Facebook You know this enraged the U.S. attorney. And so now it goes before a federal judge, I believe, having probably spent more time on Rikers Island, both locked up and visiting there than anybody else, that the federal government, this federal judge, is going to put him under receivership. And that is not good for New York City. The fact that a jail system that Rudy ran with Bernie Kerik, they had 18,500 inmates, triple the number we have now, nowhere near the problems. And we're going to have to have the feds run our jail system. So,
1: excuse for In whom case? do the bells toll? Eight and a half million New Yorkers that that pay taxes and deserve deserve to be safe, or three thousand criminals that have eighteen, nineteen, twenty, forty? Uh, you know,
4: let me arrest, John. Let me respectfully submit to you that one of the answers to the one of the answers, not this exclusive answer. But one of the major answers to the crime problem is using Rikers effectively. You can deal with mental health issues there. You can deal with drug addiction there. You can deal with uh, education and job training there. You can give them all kinds of medical treatment there. What you can't do is have vertically integrated services in the local neighborhoods. You destabilize neighborhoods. What this has done. When is you have
1: it, In the neighborhood, you're going to have jails with criminals walking in and out all the
4: time? There go literally. There goes the neighborhood.
2: Where are you going to find room? Well, <laughs>
4: room is defined. I mean, it's called eminent dollars, domain. Right.
2: domain, right?
3: They already want to spend eight billion dollars that we don't have right. to build community jails in Chinatown. They want to build one. Downtown Brooklyn, they want to build one. Kew Gardens, Queens, the old courthouse, would be, uh, the old jail would be replaced with a new jail. In the Bronx, they want to build another one in Hunts Point. They
4: let Staten Island off the hook.
3: That's right. Well, that was a deal between then Mayor de Blasio and the borough president, Jimmy Otto, not to put a jail there because they remember history. When Guy Molinari was in Congress and you had the borough president who was a Democrat at that time, Guy Molinari left Congress to run for the borough presidency in a very close contested race. And it was all about the state prison that had been built on the north shore of Staten Island. Guy Molinari won on that issue uh, as opposed to Lamberti, who is the sitting borough president supported by Ed Koch. It came all down. To that prison. That's why uh Guy Molinari became borough president. And you know the rest of the story. He mentored Rudy to run for mayor. He mentored Bloomberg to run for mayor. And we had 20 years of low crime rates. We had 12 years of Pataki in Albany. Low crime rates. The Democrats came into power. Look at what happened. We're back to when it was with Mario Cuomo Democrats, and then David
1: Dinkins. You know, we need the common-sense Democrats, and there are a lot of common-sense Democrats, to have the... What do you call it, coyoons?
3: Yes, coulions. Yeah. Coulions. Weapons.
1: To to, to to stand up against the, the crazies that have infiltrated the party. Well, let
3: me give you an example. Just last week, right here with Bernie McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, Tom Suozzi, congressman, running for the Democratic nomination for governor. He's moving right from Hochul and Jumani Williams, who's falling off the cliffs on the left. Uh, Bernie and Sid said, what do you think? ...about the bill that DeSantis just signed into law... ...saying that those in third grade and lesser grade... ...should not be discussing sexuality or gender identification. Thomas was oh yeah, that's a common sense idea. I agree with that. And he gets blowback. The Democrats, it's like they wanted to oust him. He has an editorial all of a sudden amending that. I didn't know what he was saying. was uh, I was mesmerized by uh, Sid and Bernie. I didn't know what I was saying... On a simple issue like that, that for parents, is so important regardless if they're Democrats, Republicans, independents, apolitical, is that the children should not be indoctrinated with information that adults find difficult That's to process. That's why
4: coming up in May are local school board elections in New York State. And that becomes very important because if you're against critical race theory, indoctrination on racial politics, you're against sexual identity identification politics, that you can stop it at the local school board level. who is the one pushing
1: that judge? There's somebody funneling money into our system. And Georgia, Venizelos. I don't know myself who it is. Is it the Chinese or the Russians? The Chinese have have, uh, circulated a lot of money to the big universities in our country and uh, have endowed professors, et cetera, et et cetera.
2: I, I think I don't think the
1: Russians are smart enough. I think it's the Chinese. Well,
2: the, well, last night at sixty Minutes, you had the the um, Ray Director Ray the FBI came out and he was asked, "What's the biggest threat to this country?" and he came out and said, "The Chinese." And that's something I hear constantly. I didn't that's hear it. I, I, didn't, by, I did not watch 60 yeah, Minutes. Is that Chinese. what happened? Yeah, he said the Chinese. Wow. And it was that way seven years ago when I was an FBI to Chinese. Now, if uh,
3: yeah. I remember correctly, John, years ago we had a conversation when your children were in school. And I think you were on the board uh, of the school that your children attended. And there are all kinds of wacky ideas, even in private schools. This is yeah. not limited yeah. to public they schools.
1: They wanted to give my daughter, they wanted to give my daughter in the fifth grade. Uh, Rick, what do you call her, Uh, that, uh, calming down drug. Oh,
3: Ritalin. oh Ritalin. 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 yes.
1: And I put my foot down. I said, no effing way. And they gave it to some of the other kids in her class, and they were normal kids. You know, kids are supposed to be a little bit active in the fifth grade. That's right. They were normal kids, and they ended up walking around as space cadets. You know what yeah. a space cadet is? They look up, they look in the sky smiling.
3: So now, what did you do as a board member? Because I
1: said, "No effing way!" You're going to give it to my daughter. And I said, "I think you you guys are wrong." Well,
3: now, and giving it to over the the weekend, Randy Weingarten, head now of the American Federation of Teachers, the national union. Remember, for years she was in charge of the UFT, the local union. She told parents, "Keep your nose out of what goes on in the schools. Curriculum, you have no input." Uh books in the library, you have no input. You should have no input in the instruction. That's a lot
1: of B S. That's BS. I, I like I, I, I like Randy Weingarten, but it's wrong for her to do that. I I think parents I, as an overall group have the right to yep. say, look what happened in Virginia, Virginia. by the way. Yep. They have the right to say, This is what I want my
3: kids taught. Look. Let's look at inner-city schools. That's the ones I deal with all the time. They have pe- uh, uh, an evening in which parents and teachers are supposed to get together in the classroom. I can't tell you how many times those children know that none of their parents or their older siblings are going to show up on their behalf. The teacher in a class of maybe 28 might have four parents who show up. Other schools... The, the parents show up, the boobies, the zetas, the grandparents. <laughs> it's like the teacher is swarmed because they're all interested. What are you teaching our child? Why is our child not doing well? Can we get tutorial, uh, tutorials for the child after? Cause they're totally involved in the education of their child. When you keep the parents. Okay. We have somebody
1: of- from the Fed- oh, we have somebody from the FDNY, James McCarthy on. Bring him back.
3: James, uh, are you on the line? I am. All right. Uh, on this uh, horrible day where we saw another hero uh, firefighter pass away in the line of duty, Timothy Klein, uh, could you explain to us who he is uh, and how badly this has affected your membership? Because I know recently you've had other firefighters pass away in the line of duty. Well, uh,
12: Timothy Klein is a. Uh uh, six over six year veteran of the FDNY and he was assigned to ladder 170 in Canarsie uh, is a, about 31 years old and uh very young guy. If you recall in 2019, he was one of the firefighters that gave the eulogy for firefighter, Stephen Pollock, who died uh, tragically. Uh, and uh, the last um, line of duty uh deaths we've had with Jesse Garrard in uh, in February of 2016. But Timothy Klein is the 1,157th member of the FDNY to die in the line of duty. So we have uh, a, a vast experience in dealing with line of duty deaths and, uh, and the families. And uh, uh, every member that signs up for the flight department know that they're taking that chance. And every time you go to work, you know that you may not go home to your family.
3: Describe the circumstances. It's a burning house on Avenue N in Brooklyn. A firefighter's run in. He's part of what they what they call the Nozzle team. Could you explain what the Nozzle team does and why he eventually ended up in jeopardy?
12: Sure. The uh, the primary objective of the fire department is to put water on the fire. So, you were going to bring water to the aggressive interior attack, bring water to the base of the fire and extinguish it by cooling it down. So, there was a difficult uh, time getting water in this situation because the house was on a cul-de-sac, a dead end, and there was some construction in the area. So, they had a difficult time starting uh, water in the hose line to bring it into the uh, building. And it was, um, the fire was extensive by the time they got there. Uh, fire increases exponentially for every second that you know trying to extinguish it and as we say in the fire department more of fire burns it's destroying the, the structure and putting everybody at risk so when they went in a uh, nozzle there's a, no, a nozzle a firefighter that uh, controls the opening and closing of the hose line at the direction of the officer and then there's a firefighter that backs that person up and then there is a uh, One or two firefighters that that advanced the line uh, through the uh, building. So um, Timothy was the the backup person, and when they they extinguished the large portion of the fire, they shut the nozzle down to make an assessment. The fire flashed again, and they got caught on the top floor, and they tried to fight their way out uh, with uh, the water that they had and the um, the abilities uh, that in their training. And, um, the captain that was in charge of the hose line got second and third degree burns over 20% of his body, his arms and his oh head and God. his legs. Now, we the were, oh, nozzle firefighter also got burns on his arms and, and legs.
3: Right. We were told, then, uh, we were told in reports that eyewitnesses who were watching the firefighters go in that at a certain point, a ball of fire consumed that second floor that you were talking about. And firefighters were actually jumping out of the windows in order to save their own lives to avoid being consumed by that fire, as unfortunately uh, Timothy Klein was.
12: Yeah, that's what I was told, that there's some firefighters had uh, uh, tried to dove down the stairwell to get out, and other firefighters were out the coming out the windows onto the portable ladders or just... Is there going to be a full...
1: We're almost out of time. Is there going to be a full report by the uh, marshals or somebody?
12: There's a full report. There's an investigation going on as we speak. As soon as they extinguish the fire and put it under control, the fire marshals of the FDY began their investigation. And uh, we're going to find, uh, try and find the cause and origin. And then, uh, what, what, uh, uh, contributed to this tragic event. It may be a while before we get the official report, but there's going to be initial report of cause and origin. And then we'll, we'll spend some time going through, uh, the interviews of all the members that were participating in in this fire and doing. I, their I'm best sure
1: to you'll continue. have you'll have the skinny on it. I hope you come back on the show and and tell us about
12: it. Sure, and when we we get to all that information, the report comes out. I'll be happy to share it.
1: Thank you. thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you again real soon.
3: Thank you. In fact, uh, in the interim, I'll try to get some uh, information. A very good friend of mine, original guardian angel Eddie Brown, is the treasurer for the UFA. Who's been in many fires. He used to be stationed at Bryan and Seneca in Hunts Point. Remember in the time of the 80s where yeah. you had fires morning, noon, and night. So if you can get out to the wake and the funeral when it's announced, please yeah. show the firefighters in New York show the support, support that they, they need each and every okay. time. Now, these do we have a break occur. coming
1: up or what do we have?
3: Oh, right now. In fact, we're getting ready for Ray Kelly, longest serving police commissioner in the city of New York, joining us at 840 and we'll continue our discussion. With George, is Lydia coming on? Yeah, well, that's right, Lydia. Uh, that's right. Uh, Lydia, update. I'm sorry.
1: You can't. You can't do that to Lydia.
3: No, no, uh, no, you no. can't no. forget Lydia. We'll be accused of all being misogynists. <laughs> We're not going that route. You give us a update up next, exclusive to Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, who are away this morning.
0: Stay entertained and informed now with Bernie and Sid in the morning. Breaking news: WABC.
1: We we just got breaking news, and uh, it says that Twitter nears a deal to sell itself to Elon Musk. So they're getting getting closer. That's the breaking news, and uh, uh, on that thought, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe the, the truth will be told on Twitter in the future because that is the worst run company it's, in George, the last five six years. John, yes.
4: it's worse than that because the ability of Twitter to censor impacts on elections. People will not be fully informed about both sides well, of the now, issues. Now
1: we have to fix Facebook and not allow the owners of Facebook to spend $400 well, million dollars on elections.
3: John, what about a potential hostile takeover of the Zuck by you, John Katsuma TV? Well, uh,
1: well we, we try to take over <laughs> CNN. Let's go. We got, I understand, is Lydia on the line? Well, we got Lydia reports and, uh, you know, we, we can't uh, forget our uh, my uh, sidekick, Lydia.
0: This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani.
9: Well, we're going to, speaking of our rights, right, and our rights to free speech. So for seven years, a high school football coach, Joseph Kennedy in Washington State, he's been taking a knee and he's been saying a quick prayer with his team on the 50-yard line after every single game. So he started this in 2008. Then in 2015, the school district there said, no, you got to stop praying or you're going to lose his job. So he said, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to keep praying. You can't tell me not to stop praying. He lost his job. And now the case is being heard today by the United States Supreme Court. Here's Joseph Kennedy, the coach, talking about how this praying on the 50-yard line all began and how organically all the players just decided to join him. Listen.
7: One of the kids asked me, can we join you out there? I said, well, this is America. Of course you could join me. You know, a couple of them came out and then more kids came out and then ended up being, you know, over the years, the entire team was coming out. It was never required to join in prayer. I never asked anybody. I never force anybody. And I got warned over the years that, oh, yeah, well, we can't do that. Teachers can't do that because we'll get in trouble. And I just kept saying, you know, that this is America. You are protected under these rights. It seemed ridiculous to me that anybody would ever get in trouble for something like that.
3: Now, uh, Lydia, uh, let me take you back to uh, when I was playing high school football for Brooklyn Prep. Prep and we were in the parade grounds playing a uh, exhibition game against Brooklyn Tech, John Katz We never at lose. School. Brooklyn
1: Tech never loses. You you
3: beat us then. But before remember it was Catholic high school, so Coach Duffy, he said, You gotta you gotta take that quarterback down. I don't care how you do it, break his leg. Then the same <laughs> Coach Duffy we're on on the field and let's all say a prayer that everybody who came out here yeah. is gonna walk away in good condition, no injuries. Except for the quarterback. <laughs> okay, I said, Coach, you just told us whatever we got to do to take out the quarterback. He said that was then. This is now we're talking to God. Back then you could say prayers, Lydia. Now you're prohibited from doing that.
9: Well, how come meantime athletes around the country, they can take a, a knee on the playing field for BLM and get praise, but this coach takes a knee for the almighty God and he gets sacked. I mean, this is so ridiculous. It's going to Don't the Supreme Court. Think? Is it going it's to today? Today, today oh, we're, they're, they're we're, hearing the case today. The United States Supreme Court. Five
1: o'clock. Cats at night. We're going to have. No. We're going to have. Um, um, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. And today, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about it.
9: Right. I mean, today, the United States Supreme Court. So he's been fighting since uh, 2015, ever since he lost his job. And he said, no, you know what? I have a right to pray. I have a right to pray. And um, he used different examples. I, I know, Judge Weinberg, you would know better. He said the right to religious freedom and first Amendment. all these other issues.
4: First Amendment. I, ag- I agree. First- I think the Supreme Court of the United States, as, const- as constituted today, should come out and pray for this coach. They should come out,
1: what, They've, eight zero so,
4: 0 or 9-0, well, whatever. Yeah. I, but given the composition of the court, I don't think you can wouldn't get Wouldn't it be amazing zero. that... They should, they should get it.
3: Trump's last appointment when he was president, uh, who came from Notre Dame University, obviously a religious institution, Catholic college, if she would have cast a deciding vote in the affirmative on behalf of the coach who took the knee and said the prayer, wouldn't that be amazing? Because generally, judges... Uh, they'll take the position that no, you're the separation of church and state. Separation of church and state can't say a prayer
4: now. No, uh, no but the problem is they're using state action through the uh, through the school boards. Now, to, when you when you were to go going to, to is,
3: when you were going to Yeshiva University, which has yeah. a top flight basketball team now, one of the best in the wow. nation.
4: I no no, I taught Cardozo Law School, which is part of Yeshiva a University. Great I basketball not, team. I, there. I did, not go, there. I did they, not
3: go there. Were they permitted to say prayers?
4: The orthodox say prayers for everything, Curtis, you know that.
9: <laughs> yes. Well, according to the school district, he doesn't have the right to impose his religious ideology onto others. He,
4: that, and, and by the meanwhile, way, but he's, Lydia, you're absolutely right. But you know what the problem is? He's saying, as a matter of fact, that's not what he did. It was voluntary
9: exactly and they just decided on their own to join so that's the stipulation there they said if you want to kneel fine but because you're kneeling you made all the other players kneel and you just heard him say there he said and every single player says no they decided on their own to join but you see this double this this hypocrisy going on that you can kneel for a, a communist organization that's building mansions in white neighborhoods BLM that they're scamming America this guy is kneeling down for the almighty God and he loses his job and he has to take it all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and I hope the justices rule in his favor.
3: Well, you, know, I agree. you know, Lydia, you've created the new acronym for BLM is Big Large Mansions.
9: <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: no longer Black Lives
3: yeah, Matter, yeah, it's yeah, Big Large Mansions. They're,
1: they're, the BLM is buying big large mansions, white mansions in white neighborhoods.
3: Yes. I mean, exclusive but I thought the white man was
4: the devil. Yeah. Where's the, uh, by the way, where's the audit of all the BLM money, the hundreds of millions of dollars that the corporate America threw at them to to placate them and to make nice, nice? Where's the audit of that money? This is one of the biggest frauds ever perpetrated in the American people.
3: Well, Lydia well
9: they better sell quickly. They better sell their mansions quickly by 2024 and move to Cuba or some other communist country because once the Republicans come into the White House, oh, I think they're in for it. I think they're in for it.
3: Well, Lydia Saranai, thank you for your update, Lydia Reports. Naturally, you'll be joining Cat- John tonight this, this evening. Uh, and we're great-
9: going to have
1: my sidekick. We're going to have some breaking news at 5 o'clock, I'm sure.
9: You never know what we're going to have. And we discuss the issues that matter most to Americans. I'm sure you didn't even hear about this story anywhere else, but these are the kind of issues that matter to our listeners, matter to people like me and, and John Katzmatidis. He's never, a le- he never once told me I used to, I, I, I say a prayer. We talk about God. You've never once said, don't, don't talk about your religion. And thank, thank you for allowing us to express ourselves. The
1: other five o'clock story, maybe we have to bring it up, uh, is, uh, that general. That kissed this girl is getting thrown out of the air force and going to jail. Oh my God! I mean, I I understand. I mean, if every if if every soldier that kissed a girl goes to jail, we'll have no army.
9: We'll have no (laughs) air force. I know, Marie. <laughs> well, well, cats a night, five o'clock. You never know what you're gonna get.
3: Well, you know, there's a video of this broadcast. So, John, in honor of Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Easter that you celebrated with your family and friends yesterday. I'm going to do the sign of the cross as a Roman Catholic, the Greek Orthodox way. Watch me here. I go the opposite way. No, the... no, no,
1: you got to go the other way. Oh, wait
3: a second! I'm confused now. Yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> now,
1: I was at midnight mass. I was at midnight mass on Saturday night at midnight with uh, my son and his uh, gal, and uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful uh, ceremony, and uh, and the Archbishop Peter Fortus, uh presided over it, and. Maybe I'll put up the video. And, uh, you should. It was a very, it was a very nice. You should. But be- at the, at 840, we've got Ray Kelly coming on to talk about crime. And you ready for this? At 905, we got Gordon Chang to talk about China. And we got one big mess in our hands. Russia, they're nothing. China, if they come at us, That's something.
3: Well, right now, it's all Katsimatidis all the time. The clip of the day is actually from your roundtable discussion at 5 o'clock at night.
1: Mayor Adams, you've been supporting him. I've been supporting him. And he had a big
7: fight with Black Lives Matter. And he's going to get a lot of criticism internally for actually doing that and speaking out as strongly as he has against crime, as I said before, and also putting in place greater police on the subways, and a number of things that he's done. He's standing up against a group, for the most part, when they were voting, voted for him. And so that's why I think it's so unique, and that's why I commend that somebody thinks about the entire group of people that they're serving and not just the people who put him in office.
9: honey and sit in the morning 77
4: wkbc hey
7: jude don't make it bad
0: take a sad song
3: Get when will it get better, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Bernie and Sid Morning Show, they're both away this morning, and coming out of the bullpen early on, John Matitis, yours truly, Curtis Lee, were joined by uh, Judge Weinberg and uh, George, former FBI DEA agent, but on the line right now, nobody knows this subject better than Ray Kelly, who busted his shoes for so many years as a cop on the beat, Elevated to police commissioner, uh, the longest serving in the history of the department. And I have to believe, Ray, that reading the headlines this morning that this reinvented uh, anti-crime unit that just stopped 25 gun-toting suspects uh, has to now look back and say the last four and the others have all been cut loose. They're back out on the streets. How can this happen, Commissioner Kelly?
6: That's a great question. You would think that at least the judges would be aware of what's going on, the the gun violence that's sweeping the city. But no, if you read those, uh, that article, it shows you that a lot of it is just the, the judges deciding to let these people go. So I don't know. I don't know when we wake up. You know, we've been, we've been concerned about judges for decades. Uh, most of them come from the Legal Aid Society, they are public defenders, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, generally speaking, bleeding hearts uh,
1: that
6: don't have the public's best interests at heart.
4: We have a judge in the studio. <laughs> judge Weinberg? <laughs> Commissioner, good morning. Uh, you and I agree. I ha- so you. Good. You and I agree on law and order and public safety. We've been doing this together for, for decades when I was a general counsel, city council, and you were police commissioner. Later on, as a judge, when I was a presiding judge in Midtown Community Court, and later as a Supreme Court justice presiding over special narcotics. So you and I are law and order people, public safety people. I agree with you. You did you have, a great job, Judge. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and you were the yeah, best commissioner ever. But I want to tell you it's not just the judges, is they still have real problems and real holes in the so-called barrel form law. And you have real problems with what the DAs are recommending to the judges in terms of so-called supervised release, and so it's an amalgamation of problems, Commissioner.
6: Yep, you're you're absolutely right. And by the way, I don't think this new uh, neighborhood safety team unit is a replacement for the anti-crime units of the of the past. The NYPD has had anti-crime units for almost five decades. All of a sudden, in the paper now, they're calling it controversial. I was never controversial in, uh, in, in my experience, but the advocates have, have labeled it controversial, and they've replaced it with, in essence, a uniform team that any other uniform officers could be doing as well. We need that type crime to be in, in plain clothes to be able to surveil people, to follow people, but you can't do it wearing a semblance of the
4: uniform. I agree with you, Commissioner. And as you and I have both know, and we've discussed before, both on, on radio and, and in person, the big problem started with the lawsuit in the Southern District with uh, Judge Shilin, where she set aside Stop and qu- and Frisk. It was a bad decision. She ruled not impartially. The Second Circuit, the United States Court of Appeals, took the case away from her. The case was going up on appeal in the United States Court of Appeals. And the police department in of Steve New York would have won that case, and de Blasio, as mayor, first thing he did is he walked away from the appeal. Your comments, please.
6: Yeah, well, I also think that the Corp Counsel and the Bloomberg administration sat on his hands and then moved that appeal uh, expeditiously. It was obvious where that case was going to go. There's no jury. It's just the judge. She had that case for 14 years. What do you think she's going to do? And by the way, in the trial, there were 19 stops that were examined 10 of the 19 stops, in her opinion, met constitutional muster. And I had an expert who looked at decades of stops, 4 million stops. He found that 96% of them met constitutional muster. So, yes, you're right, Judge, that case would have been overturned. I think the Corporation Council should have been ready, willing, and able to move on that appeal. And they did. They did. And, now, uh, now, Police I, Commissioner they Kelly. Wanted, they wanted to be, Yes,
3: sir. Yeah, Police Commissioner Kelly Curtis Lee were here uh, in my lifetime, oh, is that, is right? Curtis Lee
6: from uh, Super Sports Spectacular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: In fact, Ray Kelly uh, says that I did the best sports talk program ever in the history of sports talk radio. But on a different note, uh, I have never experienced in New York City drive-by shootings. Now it's a regular situation. The suspect was firing a weapon out of a moving car. Drive-by shooting in the Bronx, drive-by shooting in Brooklyn. What can be done to stop that? Because when you were police commissioner and before that police commissioners who served, they never were talking about drive-by shootings and the execution of uh of the uh, uh, murders and people wounded uh out of a car. How did this all happen and what can be done to stop it?
6: Well, it's just this permissive uh, attitude that we've seen uh, all over. It's, it's, you know, it's a multifaceted um, problem. It, we need the, as I said, we need the judges, we need district attorneys to judge in these cases. And you're right. I mean, have you ever seen so many people always feel so many people carrying guns out of, in the street? Everybody's got one, unfortunately. So it's a very, very different time in our in our history. And uh, drive-by shootings are just part of the part of the problem. You've got to charge them with guns. You just saw the story today that you were talking about. In, uh, are they the
1: mostly country. gangs, Commissioner?
6: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Drive-by shootings are mostly gangs. Uh, mostly and then gay. the
1: bullets go flying and, and hurt little kids and everything.
6: Absolutely. They killed that young, uh, remember that young uh, lady that was killed in Bronx about three weeks ago. Uh, yeah. It, uh it's very, very dangerous out there. And, of course, it can happen anywhere. It's happening mostly in uh, the poor communities, yes, but it can happen anywhere in, uh, in any part of this great uh, great city. So uh, it's all part of a, a, a major problem that we have. Things are moving in the wrong direction. I don't think this uh, administration uh the mayor i know he's trying he's saying the right things but i i, I don't think that we are uh in, in a position to turn it around as now as a matter it... of fact i'm told that the, all the numbers they can't they can't win the year the, the year is gone already as far as the numbers are, are concerned 44% increase in uh, index crimes in the last, uh, uh, when the last measure was taken, which I think was a, uh, a week ago. Now, so, po- we're in trouble.
3: Police Commissioner Kelly, um, during the campaign for mayor, uh, candidate Eric Adams said he would use limited use of stop, question and frisk, limited use. Uh, recently, the new Police Commissioner Sewell was asked about that tactic as a crime fighting tool. She said, we're not taking that out of the toolbox. There won't be stop question, and frisk. How can a department function when you see known gangbangers? They're tattooed up. They're throwing gang signs. They have bulges coming out of their pocket, and they're not going to use a tactic that, as you pointed out, originally is constitutionally uh, correct.
6: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. They can't. It is a tool that has to be in the toolbox. You can't just rule it out. Uh, you're not going to get guns off the street unless there's some hands on people. And that, and he done it in a legal, professional manner. But if you are if you uh, not permitting stop a question at first, you're really tying both hands of the police uh, be, behind their backs. <laughs> it is a, a tool that, by the way, is, is also... Uh, been been limited in a lot of other cities based on the New York uh, decision and just not doing it the way they did it in the in the past. Commissioner, uh, we have necessary.
1: we have George Venizelos, uh on the uh, you worked with him uh, when he was in the FBI and uh, I did. At, at what point uh, if if the New York City judges and uh, we have a problem. Can can the NYPD work with the DEA or the or the uh, FBI to create uh, federal crimes out of some of these things so we can get some of these people off the street?
2: Is there a point, uh, George? I, I think it's a uh, I think it's happening, but it needs to be happening more. I know Commissioner Kelly, um, we did a lot of that together. And, and I think it's, we're at a point now we need, we need to do more. We need to do more of these, these task forces. We need to get more of these, you know, with guns off the street. I just can't understand how somebody could commit a crime with a gun and be out the next day or that night. Yeah.
6: You know, there's no question, as you know, George, that, uh, criminals fear the federal system because the, the charges are much graver. Uh, the penalties are higher. They don't. They don't want to go to uh, federal court, and uh, it, it is a deterrent when it when they know it's being used. <clears throat> There's a program operation trigger lock that we used. Right. <clears throat> that was in the Bronx in Manhattan. Uh, there was a real concern out there. you arrested somebody, and it was fell under the federal uh, law, the federal guidelines, and they were going to uh, to you know, sit in a federal court. So, uh, yeah. You're right. The, most, the more of that that
2: can be done, the, the better off we all are. Yeah, I mean, at this point, if we really want to save this city, it, it's imperative that we do a lot more of this now until we get this, the district attorney's offices straightened out and the, and the judges straightened out. Um, we can't wait So we're going to wait and watch the city go down, and that's what's happening. We they've really... been
4: doing that, uh, George and Commissioner, they've been doing that in Philadelphia because you have a runaway, this return in Philadelphia is an extreme progressive, a George Soros funded progressive. It has been enforcing the law. So the U.S. Attorney's Offices in, in Pennsylvania have been, uh, have been doing that. Now, whether that will continue under the Biden administration, uh, Justice Department, as opposed to the Trump, I don't know yet, but that's what they did in Philadelphia to deal with that problem.
3: I do appreciate you joining us this morning, uh, Police Commissioner Ray Kelly. Hopefully you, like everybody else, will be listening to your son in the afternoons, Greg sure. Kelly. Great chip off the old block uh, from 1 to 3 Monday through Fridays.
6: Well, I have no choice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's doing a great job here, though, at both WABC and Newsmax. Uh, but thanks for joining us today. And you mentioned Philadelphia, Judge. 800 carjackings. They average three a day. Armed carjacking. So you drive up to a red light. That is horrible. Young thugs come running out, put guns to your head, tell you to get out of the car. Sometimes they shoot you just in the kneecap to show you they mean business. And there's no controls there. Anarchy prevails. Anarchy prevails. So
4: much for the city of breathily love.
3: Yeah. And by the way, that DA, he ran for office again. And he won. The Republicans joined the moderate Democrats, and they still couldn't oust him. And the people of Philadelphia have spoken at the ballot box. No problem. You want crime. You want anarchy. You have a DA that is going to not lock up criminals but turn them back loose into the streets. You imagine three carjackings a day out out of control. Anyway, Man, we're going to beat him in New York. Yes. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the tide will be turning. But up next, nobody knows mainland China, red China better than Gordon Chang. There's so much news coming out of the mainland, especially those videos. A city of $25 million in total lockdown Shanghai.
1: And Gordon Chang will be on at 9.05. And I understand, I just got some news. At 9.40, we're going to have Vito Fasella, the borough president of Staten Island, talk about the Amazon strike. What's going to happen? A lot of people fear that Amazon, they have 5,000 warehouses. Amazon will just say... Screw you guys. We're shutting it down.
3: Well, I wonder if video for rolled out the red carpet because yesterday, Bernie Sanders and AOC were together uh, there to support the strikers uh, who used to be strikers, but who actually got union certification. We'll deal with that and so much more. Bernie and sit away today. It's John Katz, Matitas, Judge Weinberg, George, and yours truly, Curtis Lee. We don't go anywhere. Keep it on 770 AM WABC.
0: Oh, We are New York, early and said in the morning, Hot Radio seventy
9: seven.
0: I see a red door and I won't dip into glass. Anymore.
3: I want them to turn black. I see those girls walk by dressed in their summer clothes. I
0: have to turn my head until my
7: darkness goes.
3: You know, I heard this song of Josh the other night with cousin Bruce. Rolling Stones classic with Cousin Brucey, Saturday Nights You Don't Wanna Miss It. Entertainment, number one, second to none on WABC with Vinnie Maduno, who starts it all, protege Cousin of Vinny. Cousin Brucey, right? Uh, and then it's Brucey for four, and then followed by Tony Orlando, who was telling us how he is related to you by blood. I thought we always thought Tony Orlando was Puerto Rican, right? He's a Greek Rican. I had no idea. And he's somehow related to you. What's a Greek
1: American, John? A Greek. He's uh, his father was Greek and his mother was Puerto Rican. A Greek Nicole Her father was Greek and her mother was Cuban. So we have a lot of Greek Americans, uh, Greek Cubans.
3: <laughs> 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 well, coming off of uh, Eastern Orthodox Greek uh, Easter, uh,
1: and yesterday was Cindy Adams's birthday. Wow! And we celebrated on the hundred and eighth floor of the world trade center and you know it was only 11 or 12 people she had her you know it was a knights of the round table and we'll talk talk more about it afterwards i understand we have gordon chang on Gordon g chang is twitter at gordon g chang on china and um a lot of things going on and it's not just the ukraine and russia it's china gordon chang how are you this morning
11: I'm fine, John, and thank you so much.
1: Tell us, what the heck is going on? People pe- people are starting to worry. They're starting to realize that uh, there's undue influence on our elections, on our uh, uh, way of life in the United States. Uh, and uh, tell us how you feel. We have an ex-FBI man in the studio with us, George Venizelos, and and an ex-judge, uh, a retired judge, uh, Judge Weinberg. Tell us, what... What should we be doing that we're not doing?
11: Well, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, on 60 Minutes talked about, again, China being the biggest foreign threat. But we got to remember that in 2020, um, China both openly and surreptitiously advocated the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. Unfortunately, the U.S. government didn't do very much about that. This is, of course, um, you know, sedition. This is um, This is a crime, a federal crime, of course. And what we should be doing, uh, John, is removing uh, China's consulates, stripping the embassy staff down to next to nothing, getting rid of China's companies and banks in the U.S. because we have
1: 380,000 students in our
5: universities.
11: Yes, and about 13% of them commit espionage, according to an estimate. But, you know, John, We have let uh, China's diplomats and Ministry of State Security agents control those students. This has been open. Administration after administration has permitted this. So, yes, the Chinese are criminals, um, but it's, it's not so much a question of Chinese criminality. It's the question of America not defending itself, purposefully not defending itself. So this is really an American issue more than a Chinese issue in my mind.
4: The Biden administration is now walking away from investigations and prosecutions of this, Gordon. It's Richard Weinberg.
11: Yeah. Um Judge, yes, uh, they're not walking away. Um, But on the other hand, um, remember that uh, President Trump's tariffs on Chinese products were imposed under Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974 as a remedy for the theft of intellectual property. And we have the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying, well, we should probably start to remove these tariffs because of inflation. Well, the administration is not saying what it will do to stop Chinese theft of U.S. intellectual property. Now, yes, there are investigations, but that's just whack-a-mole. What we really need is a deterrent. And unfortunately, uh, no administration, but especially the current one, is doing anything to establish that deterrent.
3: Now, Gordon Chang, we're sitting here broadcasting on WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation. From a city of eight and a half million people, and yet we look to mainland China, Red China, we see twenty-five million people in Shanghai in a complete lockdown, barred from leaving their apartments, walking about. Explain what is going on and what is the end game here? Because it just seems that the government is ratcheting up. These people—they're lucky if they're able to go to the uh, the bathroom to relieve themselves.
11: Yes. And it's not just Shanghai. Uh, it's now spread to Beijing, where they're beginning testing in the Chaoyang District, which probably will lead to a full lockdown. And there are people in Beijing who are in lockdown already. It's also in Guangzhou, the capital of a uh, critically important Guangdong province. This is this is insane. You know, China's um, covid policies have uh, migrated from the merely disadvantageous to the completely ludicrous And I think the Communist Party, for various political reasons, is going off the rails, Curtis. This is a bad story for the Chinese people because what we are seeing is the COVID control policies are spreading the disease and spreading misery and other problems across China.
3: Now, the supply chain that we depend on, the rest of the world depends on, comes out of those factories that have three shifts that are fully staffed by workers that they bring in from the countryside. We see that in addition to the lockdown, they're closing the factories. They're sending the workers home. Inevitably, doesn't this impact on us? We already have inflation and the rest of the world that is suffering from inflation.
11: Oh, you're absolutely right about that. China cannot ship what it does not produce. A lot of factories either are um, at very low um, productivity or they've been closed entirely. And we've got. Of course, port problems in Shanghai and also probably we'll see them in Guangdong province as well. That's China's factory floor. Um, We're going to feel this um, big time in about two, three weeks um, because we're not going to be getting products from China, which means we should be making our products either in our own country or at least in our own hemisphere so that we're not held hostage to these completely insane policies that the Chinese Communist Party is imposing.
4: They produce a lot of our medicines, don't they, Gordon?
11: They do, Judge, um, and they also produce the uh, active pharmaceutical um, ingredients. Um, So it's not only completed medicines, but what they call the APIs. And we've known this for quite some time, and uh, we haven't done very much to bring back our um, pharmaceutical industry, which we absolutely have to do, because we've got to remember that China can't really have good quality control. They produce all these adulterated products that has resulted in adulterated medicines that have killed Americans in the past. So this is completely unacceptable. And again, judge, this is a failure of our political system to take common sense measures to protect Americans.
3: Now, Gordon Chang, uh, we have looked into North Korea. They are firing rockets every other week under Donald Trump when he was president. They ceased and desist their uh, rocket development program and their march towards a nuclear weapon. Nobody's paying attention to it. Where are they in the process of getting their nuke? And why are they firing off rockets every week? And our country is not at all responding to these threats.
11: Yeah, the, the Biden administration is focused on Ukraine, and it's not paying attention to North Korea at all. And North Korea sees an opportunity to do what it wants. Also, there is going to be a new president inaugurated in South Korea on May 10th, and the North Koreans want to intimidate Yoon Suk-yeol, who will become um, the new leader in South Korea. Um, the North Koreans, well, you ask, where they are. They already have a deliver, deliverable nuclear weapon. They've got a missile that can reach any part of the U.S., Um, The U.S. political and security establishments are completely asleep right now on this issue. And um, Kim Jong-un is taking advantage of it.
4: And what about the Solomon Islands, Gordon?
11: Well, in the Solomon Islands, um, the United States belatedly has woken up to China's penetration, not only of the Solomons, but the rest of the Pacific as well. Um, China just inked a security agreement with the Solomons, um, and that means that Chinese could have a naval base there pretty soon. Um, there's real division in the Solomons uh, among the Solomon Islanders, and China has exploited that dis- that division and it's probably going to work with the prime minister to postpone the upcoming elections, which means that we're going to lose a democracy. Um, this, again, is the fault of the U.S. for allowing Australia and New Zealand to mismanage the region. Um, and we got to pay attention because it's not just the Solomons, which are far away. They're off the coast of Australia. The Chinese now want to build and uh, improve an airstrip in Kiribati, which is 1,900 I, which is, in Pacific uh, Ocean terms, our next-door neighbor. We do not want the Chinese with an air base 1,900 miles from Pearl Harbor.
1: Oh, that would be another problem. Uh, uh, who's after that? Uh, besides Taiwan being a target, uh, the Philippines, is they a target? target?
11: Philippines are a target. On November 19th of last year, the State Department actually threatened the use of force against China because China was pressuring 2nd Thomas Shoal, generally considered to be part of the Philippines and the South China Sea. Um, this is um, you know, ongoing. Um, it's good that the State Department did this, but the President of the United States should have been making that statement rather than the State Department's um, press office. Um, so it's not just Taiwan, it's not just the Philippines, it's not just Japan, it's not just India, it's not just Nepal, it's not just Bhutan. This is just a problem along China's southern and eastern peripheries. Anywhere that the Chinese see an opportunity, they will commit an act of aggression.
1: Climate control. You know, everybody's pressuring the United States, climate control, climate control, climate control, which I'm, I am pro-climate control, but don't hurt our country, meanwhile. China, I understand is busy opening up uh, uh, coal uh, uh, places uh, all over the country.
11: Yeah, you're right about that, John. Um, China's economy right now is in distress, although the Chinese numbers don't show that. They're misreporting it. And what Beijing's response has been is to increase coal production And they are going to do this. Um, They're going to be putting more carbon dioxide in the air. What we do is almost irrelevant, considering what the Chinese effect on the environment is. And um, we should not be um, undermining our own economy while China just pours more coal into the air.
3: Now, we have been told, Gordon Chang, time and time again, uh, Red China is not going to harm the United States because we're their number one customer. We buy most of their goods. Uh, we deal with them economically uh, in terms of trade. We're the biggest uh, debtor when it comes to our trade deficit with Red China. Any truth to that? Because so many people say,
11: yeah, yeah, look, we're their best customer. They're not going to want to harm us. That um, The people who say that are indulging in wishful thinking – or they're actually just propagating, um, you know, a line that they think that will have to help the Communist Party. China, by the way, by deliberately spreading COVID-19, has killed about 991,000 Americans. Each year it kills, what, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 Americans through fentanyl, which the Chinese government pushes.
1: 100,000 last year, uh, Gordon.
11: A hundred thousand was the number. um, It includes some stuff which isn't Chinese fentanyl, but yeah, you could you could say a hundred thousand. I'd go a little bit lower just because we're not exactly sure on some of the numbers. But yeah, the point is, this is tens of thousands of Americans every year killed by a conscious decision by the Communist Party to sell and to distribute illegal fentanyl into the U.S. So each of those whatever, 60, 70, 100,000 American deaths. Each one of those should be considered a murder, John. And we have not viewed it that way. This is, you know, Biden last August issued a statement on overdose. He didn't mention China in his statement at all. This is just a dereliction of duty of the president of the United States. I mean, if he doesn't want to, he, didn't
1: want to hurt uh, 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 his son's business.
11: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he doesn't want to defend us against China, that's fine. But he shouldn't be president. He should resign um, because he's not discharging his most important, his most solemn constitutional duty, which is protecting the United States from foreign attack. The most important thing that Biden has been doing, he's been failing to do, basically doing almost next to nothing.
1: Now, now so, the one thing we talked about was in the previous interview, George. Uh, in George, there's 380,000 students in the universities in the United States. And they have a lot of influence on them. And who said to us that what percentage of those students are probably committing espionage?
2: Somebody just
11: um, said I've a, seen, 12%. Or what
1: do you think, Gordon? 13. 13. 13%. So that's uh, 50,000. No, is it 38,000? 50,000, give or take. And and George has said to me there's only 1,000 FBI agents to, to keep track of those 50,000. Oh, 380,000. How is that possible?
11: Yeah, well, it's wrong. I mean, what we should be doing is we know that Chinese diplomats with diplomatic immunity, and we know that Ministry of State security agents operate openly in our country, surveilling students on campuses. We should stop this. Any Chinese diplomat who has been um, coercing students on an American campus, whether they're Chinese or not, um, should be immediately expelled. We don't do that. We allow these guys to operate openly. So this is our fault, John. You know, I think this is a real problem. Um, You know, every Chinese national is under a compulsion to spy for Beijing. So that's an issue. But we compound it by letting the Chinese force their students on our campuses to commit espionage against the U.S. This is ludicrous.
4: It's even worse than that because there's a lot of Chinese money that goes into funding programs. At the universities, so they're buying off academia.
2: Well, to, it's, uh, Mr. Chang, this is George Vangelos. It's even worse than that. I, I think the Chinese are hitting us. They've been a number one problem for many years. Even though the director announced it yesterday, it's been many years, and I think they're hitting us on multiple fronts. And I think they're the one front they're really hitting us is, which is why the political parties are quiet. Is they're hitting our politicians. You know, I mean, they're 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 they're. they're, they're Working ways to fund all the politicians, get in the politicians' pockets, and the politicians need money to win. So I, I think they're controlling a lot of the politicians in this country, and, and they're, they're very dangerous in, in the way they're attacking this country and our way of and life. And there's
1: foreign money influencing exactly. our elections, exactly. and that's a whole separate discussion. I exactly. so have that
4: congressman from California who's still on the Intelligence Committee. And Nancy Pelosi didn't take him off his name. Skolwulf, right, we got to take a
1: break. But Gordon Chang, we want to thank you for everything you do for our country and and exposing uh, uh, lies and exp- and telling the truth. And uh, thank you, and God bless you. And people want to uh, uh, go to your Twitter It's at Gordon G Chang.
11: Is that correct? That is correct. And thank you so much, John. And thank you so much, everybody. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Gordon. And how ironic the old days of the cultural revolution of Mao Tung. Everybody was on a bicycle in China. They're now getting cars. And up next, we got to discuss what's coming up is there was a billion dollars that's been appropriated in our city budget that will be announced tomorrow in Brooklyn specifically to put in more bicycle lanes. So, so we are going to have. More bicycle lanes, gentlemen and ladies listening out there. Not less, more. We'll give you those exclusive updates as we give you breaking news right here on Bernie and Sid in the morning. And this morning, coming out of the bullpen, John Katsimatidis, yours truly, Curtis Schlewa, George, uh, formerly with the DEA, FBI, and Judge Weinberg. Your place to be, WABC.
1: judge will get you out of jail when your time was up. (laughs) Maybe.
0: Maybe. Stay entertained and informed now with Bernie and Sid in the morning. Then tonight, it's the great one. Mark Levin at six. This is the great scandal on
5: 77 WABC. I love that music. You like
3: that deep baritone, right?
1: Perfect, perfect. It makes you relax, relax. You know, you know what I just told Matt Meany, our program director? And uh, I said that we should do a survey, put up a poll that who should be in the bullpen when Bernie uh, is getting better and when Sid's out making movies. And, and list about five, six people and let, them, let let our audience vote who should be in the bullpen.
3: I, I like that idea, interaction. It's interactive with the audience, but... Right now, I have a feeling, knowing the WABC audience like I do for over 32 years that I've been in talk radio.
1: And you got another 28 to go.
3: That's right. I I have a no-cut contract for the next 30 years. And I said to John when I came off the campaign losing to Eric Adams, John, I mean, I'd be like 96. I'm like a cat with nine lives. Look
1: at Cindy. Look at uh, Justin Brucey.
3: true, true. Too. Like, okay,
1: like, I specialize in hiring elderly people. Well, I think
3: I can make. It, I think I can make it if I avoid yellow cabs. My problems in life have been either getting hit uh, in a yellow cab by organized crime, or, get, or hit or by me yellow. Me getting cab. my
1: toe run over by a cab. Yes.
3: Now, speaking of cabs and other individuals whose lives are dependent on having four wheels, whether cars, vans, trucks, uh, tomorrow, and this is a preview of what's coming. Our mayor Eric Adams will announce the budget. He's this is he had to postpone this because remember we had the new variant that came and he wasn't able to do this at the restored theater on Flatbush Avenue. It's magnificent theater. It reminds you of the old days, right across from Erasmus High School. A billion dollars is coming out of the budget specifically used for the next four years to build more bicycle lanes.
1: Oh my
3: god. Bicycle lanes get ready. You it's, know what
1: the most dangerous thing is when you're crossing a street? The it's not the cars.
4: The it's not
1: the trucks. It's not the buses. It's those bicycles because they follow zero rules. What about Zero. On
4: this, John, what about on the sidewalks? They're riding on the sidewalks. It's horrible.
3: And horrible. Uh, get ready for more of that, John Katsimatidis and our audience. Places that you never thought that there would be bike uh, lanes because there's no bicyclists. The whole concept is it's the Bugsy Siegel mentality. As he said to Meyer Lansky, if we build it, the hotels in the middle of the desert and the casinos, they will come. In this case, Eric Adams and others in the city council who want this are saying if we build those bicycle lanes in every nook, cranny and corner of the five boroughs of the city of New York, the bicyclists will come. You might as well forget it if you have four wheels with congestion pricing that they want to impose, with taking away all these parking spots, with these huts, these uh, airplane hangers outside of restaurants that people are uh, dine outside with. There's going to be no place to park, no place to drive. You might as well forget it. And now they tell you, take the subway. Subway, well, crime is up in the subway. People are not taking the subway.
4: Curtis, you mentioned congestion pricing. You know there's an investigation going on by the feds over the MTA and the implementation of the congestion pricing law. And you know the harm congestion pricing will do to the city's economy and its commerce, to commuters, and to residents. The charges is another tax that will not work, will not solve the problem of uh, of cars in the city.
3: Well, I think you know I was no friend of Sheldon Silver, but he did the right thing when he was Julius Caesar, the three men in the room, and all of a sudden everybody was in favor of congestion pricing, and Sheldon Silver said no. No to congestion pricing. It's going to kill this city. Now, John, your entire business is dependent on getting your product into the supermarket. Where are these 18-wheel tractor trailers going to unload? Where are you going to get your product from? How are men and women who are trained as plumbers, electricians, and carpenters going to be able to park their van and make the the, the quick fixes that are necessary to keep this city vibrant. What are they going to do? Do all of this on a big Schwinn chief bicycle, a Raleigh bicycle? What about
4: increased costs to the people who live here who go below a certain place in Manhattan? They have to pay a charge just for the privilege of driving their car when they're residents.
2: Well, the other problem is half of these bikes are electric. They're like motorcycles. They fly down that street. They go faster than the cars with the delivery people.
3: And, George, right now there are people listening to us on a crawl coming over the Brooklyn Bridge because they put a dedicated lane only for bicycles on that part of the bridge that takes you from Brooklyn to Manhattan. They spend a half hour looking at the East River when you're in a car because the, 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 it's choked. The what does that do for pollution? Choked. Well, of course, you're idling, you're burning fossil fuel. But it's nuts. Just imagine. We are going to become the Amsterdam of America. There are going to be more bicycles. And a side story, because, John, you have investments in Coney Island, and a lot of it is due to the fact that the hipsters and millennials love Coney Island. I am Island. not
1: against bicycles. I am not against But they got to be law-abiding. Mm-hmm. they they got to stop at lights. They can't just keep running, trying to run over people. And, you know, you have to have them on certain streets, and certain streets you're not. I mean, they just got to follow the rules like everybody else.
3: But the hipsters and millennials are coming to Coney Island on their bicycles. So there's parking lots there. So I noticed the parking lots have $20 for 12 hours for a vehicle, $15 for 12 hours for a bicycle, oh, wow. and they're getting that price. Because naturally, you're not going to chain your bicycle out in the streets of Coney, not Island. In Coney Island. No, no, no. So <laughs> it's amazing. We were being honored yesterday in Coney Island for our service. The community was honoring the guardian angels. And I'm looking at all these hipsters and millennials online. They're paying $15 to park their bicycle for a few hours. to
1: buy a Nathan's Frank. Absolutely. How big was that
3: line? (laughs) Yesterday was kind of cold. It was a little cold on uh, uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, Easter, Greek Orthodox uh, Easter. So the crowds weren't large. But you know, that's, that's hopefully the crowds are going to return. Because if you walk through New York City, Midtown, Lower East Side, Greenwich Village, boy, people are not back. John, they're not back.
1: They're not back. I mean, I'm looking on Third Avenue
3: right now, and I see two cars. <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, because, um, in our next segment, we're going to be talking about the rally that took place outside of the Amazon warehouse, first in the nation to unionize, to take the vote to unionize. And they were joined by their brother and sister in solidarity, Bernie the Altacaca Sanders and AOC All Out Crazy. But first, it's an all John Matitas day. Our clip of the day is from John's discussion with U.S. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin.
1: Chinese cartels are sending their fentanyl in and mixing it with the Mexican cartels and they're killing hundreds of thousands of Americans.
5: I'm glad you mentioned that because that's I guess one of the the, the litany of horribles. Uh, You're right. China is bringing the precursor chemicals of fentanyl or complete fentanyl into Mexico and then they smuggle those through our open border. we lost over a hundred thousand people to drug overdoses last year as i talked to law enforcement here in wisconsin uh, most of that's attributed to fentanyl which is a deadly deadly drug uh and so it doesn't take much to smug across the border and when you have such an open border it's pretty easy to do so
9: Ready.
0: I, can't walk
3: out. I see George's head is nodding. Judge Weinberg, definitely John Casmantis, this is more your speed than it is my kind <laughs> From of the music. Old days. Yeah, exactly. When well,
4: the music was good.
3: Well, and that's where WABC is. It's not just news talk. I'm telling you, if you haven't heard the weekend line lineup, you are really missing it. From Staten Island, he teaches, he's a teacher by day. And he loves music by night, the protege uh, for Cousin Brucie, Vinnie Madunio, 5 to 6. Then, naturally, Cousin Brucie from 6 to 10. Tony Orlando from 8 to, excuse me, from 10 to 12 before I come on all night. And then the next day, it's uh the Sinatra two-hour extravaganza with Joe Piscopo by Ramsey Subaru. John, you put together not just a and great... Then-
1: Dean Martin's
3: daughter, Dina Martin. Dina Martin. Right before I come back and do it all over again. But on the line right now is Borough President Vito Fasella. And, Vito, what was it like to have the, um, the leaders of the Democratic Socialist Movement of America, Bernie Sanders and AOC, to come visit your borough at that Amazon warehouse that recently voted to unionize?
13: Well, it, it wasn't a pretty pretty sight, uh, but first, if I can just, on the behalf of the people of Staten Island, offer our sympathies and condolences to firefighter Klein who lost his life yesterday. you know Staten Island has a lot of active and uh, retired firefighters, and this just brings home the selfless nature of, of these individuals who gave their life for the city and protecting others. So uh, our sympathies go out to him and his family and the entire uh, New York City fire department. Uh, With respect to what happened yesterday, you know, listen, I I consider myself a very pro-labor person. We need to create a climate for businesses to come and to grow and to prosper. And when I say labor, I want people to work and to do well and to succeed so they can spend their money locally on their families, on cars, vacations, whatever the case may be. Uh, You know, I don't know what's going to happen going forward because business owners, and John could teach us all uh, a million things. But business owners look for what, is, what does it cost to do business in a particular area? Taxes, regulation, labor, etc. cetera. Um, and when you see some of, like, committed socialists come out to support a cause, that, that gives me a reason to be concerned as to where we're going. You know, Amazon, whether you like them or not, they happen to be the largest employer on Staten Island. And we just want to maintain that culture and, and climate where people want to come and grow. Otherwise, what we'll see, as we've seen in other parts of the country over the last several decades, is they'll just pick up and move to a more business-friendly climate. And that's the last thing we should be doing.
3: Well, you have a second warehouse that apparently has petitioned the National Labor Relations Board to have their own vote to unionize, all under the banner. And John is going to love this, John Katsimatidis. The name of this new union, uh, Borough President Vito Fossella, is Fruit Stand Workers United. Uh, That has nothing to do with fruit, what they're doing, but I think it's a play on what, John, you've spoken about over the years. You have Gristitis, you have D'Agostino's, and outside, a fruit vendor comes, a vegetable vendor, sets up his stand right in front of your store. Right in
1: front of the store, and that's wrong. And I've said to all the council people, I said... I don't want to put these guys out of business, but shouldn't they be 300 feet away? You're putting union workers, my union workers, out of business.
13: And and that's sort of what – and the second part to this is, is this the beginning? And I don't know the answer. Is this the beginning of a greater effort to, to unionize the service sector, uh, as we've seen Starbucks and McDonald's and, and others? And and I believe that people have a right to collectively bargain and, and have a right to unionize. It's not it's not for me to decide that or not, uh, but I do think, like for example, in the Amazon vote, about half the people didn't even bother to vote, so that that's a little telling in and of itself. But once again, I, I just think w- one of the things we should be doing as political folks is to create a climate where businesses want to come and stay and grow. And this notion of you can put their back up against the wall and say, you know, we're going to force you to stay here. Uh, you don't. And and like, for example, in the Gristini's case of John, you know, is paying rent, paying workers, paying union workers. And then somebody comes without any overhead and, and stands right in front. You know. Tell me that's not a competitive no, advantage, no right there? No workman's
1: compensation for the people. No health uh, inspections. No Department no, of Agriculture no rent, inspections. No benefits. No, no benefits. rent. No benefits. Nothing. No. And they're putting union workers out of business. And I demand that the the unions work harder. So
4: I don't want to put them out of business, but put them three hundred feet away from from our, from our stores. What about the the veto? What about the food inspections? Who knows how the is Goods so are these fruits and vegetables are stored and refrigerated. And this,
1: there's no bathrooms. If this if this guy goes to the bathroom in the street and he takes his hands and puts it on the fruit, I mean, you know. But the, and that's a, that's a
13: microcosm of the competitive advantage or disadvantage, right? So, John's supermarkets have to comply with all the rules and regulations of the city, state, federal government, or else he's punished, a uh, fine, etc. And in a way, that's what happens when businesses decide, hey, maybe New York is just not the right place to be or do business. We're going to move to South Carolina. We're going to move to Texas. And we're going to move to Florida. And uh, the corollary is out in the West Coast where businesses are picking up and leaving California, you know, left and right. We just have to be sensitive to it. We don't want, we want people to have a a very, a living wage, if you will, to work, to be able to afford a home, an apartment, put their kids through school, whatever the case may be. Everybody
1: should have the right to work. But these people on the streets, somebody has to make sure that they're paying their fair share of taxes too. That's all we want. Equal rights for every, equal rights for all Americans.
3: Now, uh, yesterday, Borough President uh, Vito Fasella, Staten Island, I listened intently to the speeches given by Bernie Sanders in your borough outside of that JFK warehouse, the first one to unionize in the nation, and AOC. What wasn't reported is they were calling for a $30 an hour minimum wage. $30 an hour.
13: You're spot on, Curtis. And, and and I saw that as well. And and that's it. You know, what, what do you do? And again, when when you have these political leaders using and I think they use some of these folks as pawns, you know, they saw an opportunity, they flew in, they airlifted into Staten Island, probably the first and last time they'll ever come to Staten Island because they saw this as a stage that they can bash some business or somebody. And they turn around and want a $30 minimum wage. I mean, it's insane. I, I think it's nuts, right? And my concern, once again, you take a step back and say you have the largest employer. What are they thinking? Do they just pick up and leave? Do they shut down the entire warehouse? We want people who live on Staten Island to be able to work on Staten Island. But if business owners say enough is enough, we're moving out, then what happens? Uh, look, is, are these folks going to come back and give these people jobs? I don't think so.
4: Peter, look what they did. Look what the Democratic Party and the leadership of the state legislature did in shutting down the Amazon deal in Long Island City.
1: I understand yeah. one of our friends is opening up the Amazon-type place, but it might be on hold now, depending on Staten Island. In the Bronx, I can't mention names. That means Queens loses. Bronx wins. Yeah.
13: And Judge, you're right. This And you go to the, I remember correctly, and then I just sort of piece it through. The local business owners who looked forward to Amazon located in Queens were probably the most upset and disappointed because they saw potential opportunity costs go right out the window. Right. And and in a way, that's what's happening. Uh, not not clearly. And by the way, this is not to support or defend or oppose Amazon. It's creating a climate where businesses want to come and grow and prosper because they have alternatives.
3: Well, on it's that effective. note, on that note, Borough President uh, Vito Fisella, uh our owner, operator, John Katsimatidis, resurrected us uh, from the scrap heat. W.A.B.C. We're back. Number one, second and none. But he also did you a big solid in Staten Island by resurrecting baseball in your stadium right on the North Shore. I'm assuming, Vito Facella, you're going to be out there May 1st for the – May 3rd. May 3rd, sorry. May May 3rd. But I'll I'll
13: actually be out there May 1st, Curtis, waiting on line for the May 3rd uh, opening day because I think (laughs) the line's going to be down the block. The ferry You know, know, John and Margo have – and his and his whole team have, have truly resurrected. They call the downtown uh, Staten Island with a new ferry state, uh, actually spanking new. I and mean, they're doing a lot of great work over there. It has some of the best views of any venue in the world of our skyline and the Statue of Liberty. They're putting a great team together, literally and figuratively, on the field, off the field. And it's not just going to be about baseball. That's for John to decide and his team. But it's going to be concerts. It's going to be community use. So it's a way to really revitalize and rejuvenate uh, the downtown area, of uh, St. George. You can take the Staten Island ferry over, and now we have a high-speed ferry. You can come over from Manhattan and be 18 minutes right at the foot of the stadium. So it's exciting stuff.
3: Now I've been trying to convince John Katzametidis. He signed up a phenomenal female pitcher from Southern California, uh, mm-hmm. fir- first female uh, player uh, in the independent league. Maybe veto. You want to be uh, first at bat, you know, an inning before the start of the game and let her test her ability on the mound to strike you out because you know you're going to end up uh, probably creating uh, a hurricane you won't even come close to hitting that ball. Uh, yeah, I can't.
13: I can't disagree with you, Curtis. Well, I will take issue. I may not want to be the first uh, to up at bat against this young lady, and I think it's wonderful that she's that John's given her the opportunity. And I, as I've said before, I hope more. More young women can enter the game of baseball and play and and prosper. But I will not be the first person that she faces. Um, I'll be watching carefully from the sidelines.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, more tourists go to the Staten Island Ferry than any other destination in New York City. It's the right price. But, I mean, more tourists. How do you benefit from that? Because all they do is they stay at the terminal and then they come back. Uh, to the South Street uh, port there.
1: Where, where else can you get a luxury ride like that for, for nothing?
13: Yeah, and the view of the harbor, of the Statue of Liberty, and you're right, Curtis, it, it's one of the secrets around the world that the Staten Island Ferry is one of the largest tourist attractions, not just in New York City, but in the world. And we've always tried to get folks to... To come and visit Staten Island, great restaurants, great people, great cultural facilities, up and down the, the what pizza. we call the North Shore, and and now they can come and watch a uh, watch a baseball game or or a concert or whatever may be, and if we could just tap into a few percentage of those folks who come on the ferry and get them to stay, spend a little money, right? They can spend a little money, see a little see a little uh, the Pearl of the Atlantic, otherwise known as Staten Island. I think they'd go back with now, a. a there, much, there, much more there is a reward. bit of
3: a problem now. Owner operator John Casamatidis of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, uh, the opening game, May 3rd. The vendors, right? The traditional vendor peanuts, popcorn, Cracker Jack. <laughs> Nathan Franks. It's no longer just Cracker Jack. You have to carry Cracker Jill. Oh my God! 125 years of manufacturing and animal
1: crackers. There's no long the the animals are no longer in cages.
3: That's right. It's incredible. You have to also sell not just the Cracker Jack, the tradition for 125 years, but the same company makes Cracker Jill.
13: I can't wait. to try. As long as you're not selling crack, that's all. I'm care about. As long as you're not selling crack, we're good.
1: Now, Vito, there's rumors around that Amazon might take this to heart and decide to close down the warehouse completely.
13: Well, there are rumors, John. You're right. And I've heard, uh, I've heard not good things a few weeks ago right after the vote of them putting on hold some some moves that they were going to make. Again, I haven't verified this firsthand, but they're from pretty credible sources. And that is my concern of being sensitive to as well healed as, as Amazon is, and, and businesses come and go, but you know, it looks like Amazon's here to stay uh they may say "Enough is enough," and pull the plug and say, "We'll send a signal and, and pull out. I don't know that to be true, but we have to be sensitive to that because then what happens to the eight thousand or so workers who will be out of a job you know Are the folks who were there yesterday at the rally going to give them a job at thirty bucks an hour? I don't think so I don't think so. You know, we want to create this, we're in a situation, you love New York City, everybody in that studio, Curtis, the judge, and we all love New York City, we want to see it thrive, but we have to create a climate of personal security and safety and economic security and safety, because if we don't, People will flee and businesses will flee, and well, that's just you. common thank sense, you. as you look at
3: Thank say. you, Borough President uh, Vito Fusselli. Can't wait to buy you a dirty water hot dog on May 3rd. What? Opening uh, day for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. You want to come out, meet them, and greet them. Good old-fashioned America, like uh, fun. Mom, apple pie, and the flag. Anyway, it's been a great go-around this morning as we came out of the bullpen early at 6 o'clock. John Matitis, yours truly. And then we were joined by Judge Weinberg, George formerly from the FBI, the DEA. And I understand, breaking news at WABC, that John Matitis wants to create a lineup card in the future if we have to go this route. Let's take a
1: survey. Who's going to be on the bullpen but Bernie and Sid are out.
3: <laughs> Coming out of the bullpen. Uh, the Mario Re- Mariano Rivera's of WABC. Guys, it was a great show this morning. We covered a panoply of different subjects. Uh, let's wish Bernard McGurk the best in his recovery from prostate cancer. And the stars are in the eyes of Sid Rosenberg, who's filming again today in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Come back, Sid. Come back to WABC where you need to be.